la, la, la. So you mean the choice is I have to give up the voice and to be with you? Yes. Can you do that? Yes. Do, can you have an answer? No. No. Uh, hi, all. Welcome. It is Monday night, generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And a lot is going on in the political world. Very exciting things. Very exciting things. I'm like uh, fangirling over Shama Swant. Yes. Uh, the official launch of Workers Strike Back. Which is very, very exciting to me. I think if we're going to be able to do anything in this country, it definitely has to happen directly through labor. And guys, if you haven't seen her speech, I think it was like 20 minutes. Not, I don't know if it was even that long. Um, find it somewhere. Find it somewhere. I know the Do Dissidents guys had, they showed a clip of it, but like find it somewhere. She's just amazing. Truly. Yeah, she is great. Uh, in addition to that, for those of you who do not really want to watch Bill Maher, um, I don't actually blame you from doing that. But the son of Vermont was on there on Friday, so you could see that interview. Well, and, he did put him in his place on student loan forgiveness. And we're also going to have a very nice conversation regarding Russell Brand absolutely decimating John Heilman to his face about the fact that MSNBC is a grifting network just right. like Fox News. He was this person. I don't even know who that was he was talking John to. John Heilman is I don't a, know who that is. He's, a he's, he's what you call permanent DC. That's yeah, I don't. I'm, that's why I don't know who that is. So this person is actually trying to make the point that Fox Fox News is propaganda and MSNBC News is news. <laughs> no such thing. Like seriously, he he meant it. Like this person actually believed that. And and Russell Brand was like, uh, no, it was glorious. <laughs> and in regards to what happened today with the uh, question of the White House press secretary about a primary challenge, let me assure you that the only person that this helps, or the I should say two people, there's only two people that benefit from what you did today, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, period. But they don't care. No. Because for them, they like the idea of not having to answer for anything. Being that minority party is secretly what they're after. So bashing the left, which is what they will do, Again, it's not going to work. But we know all about that, don't we? Because anything that is good for working people, is not we good. just can't have that. We no, just we can't. can't have that. And if you think it matters who the candidate is, it doesn't. No. Because anybody who's out there that would be challenging a sitting president talking about universal health care, living yeah. wage, unions, any of that. Okay, more importantly, guys, let us not forget, we'll never forget, that since Reagan, Joe Biden has just fucked labor more than anybody. Like seriously, and it is not, it is not without notice that he screwed the railroad workers and now we're dealing with this disaster. And if there's anybody that can talk about this, because I do believe based on his geographic location that he may be within the outer sphere of the damage that no, was done. No, because I Palestine. looked into hooking up with him when I, when I meeting up with him when I went to Pittsburgh and he's too far Careful east. I know. So, well, I'm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm old. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's East. You know him from the real progressives. He is the go to for generational change when it comes to talking about monetary policy, because Lord knows this country doesn't know dick about it. And we have to teach them as often as we can. Steve Grumbine, welcome back to Generational Change. Audio. Ah! Audio. You see what I'm wearing, Jen? Uh, wait, wait, wait. What deadhead paraphernalia do we have? Very nice. Uh, what is wrong? 
There we go. Where? I see Look, it. Well, we go. Who else is making an appearance on the show this evening? Wow. HR fluff and stuff. That's my girl. <laughs> As you can see, so, the resemblance is uncanny. The resemblance is uncanny. <laughs> yeah. So you've been listening to what we're talking about in this stuff that <clears throat> that's going on with labor. And then you're you're going to see that the Democrats... <laughs> somehow act like they're they're going to help us out of this mess and the republicans are scary they're both scary yeah they're both very <laughs> scary right. so you heard that thing about msnbc not that's the real news steve did you know that msnbc was the real news uh no i thought <laughs> the real news was the real news with rj or j what is it ray what is his name rj or j um Come on now, the real news. It used to be the big hit. It oh was yeah, the you're great talking about yeah. yeah uh, no, oh, oh, well, you're, I think you're thinking of R.J. Escal. No, R. not R.J. Escal. Oh. There, there's another one, and Paul I'll remember J. him. I've inter Paul J. Thank you. That's it. There that you go. That is real news. Well, that's as good that as, as for people to get. It's as good as gets. You know, you guys know. For those of you who saw the prima uh, promo like a week or so ago. And are now seeing me now. I want you all to know I am still very infected with COVID. Um, I did take the Paxlovid, which made life a lot better. Um, but I think over the last 10 days, I probably could put that many hours of sleep in. That's how hard it has been to sleep with this coughing and stuff. So if I'm not at my best, I give you all permission to cut me slack. How's oh, that? Well. Does that work? <laughs> it's all good here. It's all good here. <clears throat> it really surprised you, though. I mean, we're seeing just every day. It's like this new level of dis, uh, disgust thrown by the corporate establishment towards working people. And, you know, hats off to obviously our good friend Jordan Chariton and Status Quo, who is staying on the story in Ace Palestine. But it's like people want to pretend like the system isn't really collapsing on itself right now. Uh, the idea that you think you're going to sweep what's happening in East Palestine under the bus. Oh, and by the way, there was another train derailment of Norfolk Southern over the weekend. It happens all the time. I mean, you know. And this was a bad one. This wasn't, you, you know, the, what was so amazing about this crash was that they felt the need to immediately point out there's no toxic chemicals on this crash. It's almost like, yeah, this was a bad one. It's a much better one. <laughs> That's but you know what? Them. And so, you know, you, we've heard people talk and I know we've said things about, you know, nationalizing the railroad. I actually think the railroad would be kind of cool to have it be employee owned. But regardless, um, what are your thoughts on that? Because we know that the problem is the capitalism. That's the problem. Well, let me just go back 2016, 2017 timeframe. Even before that, I worked at the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation. And during that time period, they were given, and it was even before that, there was an act that the federal government had created that put monies to the states for the specific purpose of roadway improvements and bridge repair, okay? Bridges were at a D rating at the time, like an overall universal D rating. So that meant there were a lot of them that were below D <laughs> that you take your life into your hands when you yeah. cross over them. All right. So when we look at infrastructure in this country and I consider railways, since we haven't nationalized them, I consider railways part of that infrastructure that we've got to find a way to 
support. And we have seen time and again over the last really, quite frankly, it's probably 50 or 60 years, we have not invested in our infrastructure. We have become very heavily dependent since the 70s on imports, which is really fine on so many levels if it's a mutual agreement, but it's not a mutual agreement. We are using empire to extract real resources from countries that depend on those resources. But because we've got people in this country that still wave the red, white, and blue and run around and talk about, well, you just don't know how hard it is for the Democrats. They, they are up against those nasty Republicans. You just don't understand, right? As a result of that naivety, I don't care how young or old you are, that naivety uh, doesn't allow them to see what we're up against. And so now, because we have allowed internal USA to deteriorate to such a point, and we're now starting to see the deaths, right? It takes deaths for people to pay attention, right. sadly. Yeah. All right. But because we can't fathom that routine plan maintenance is part of a budget, okay? We can't fathom that baking in the jobs to handle maintenance on railways, maintenance on our electric grid, maintenance on our highways, maintenance on our schools. I mean, my God, it wasn't too long ago that schools were still filled with lead, still had those lead tiles and stuff. So we have let so much of our country go to hell in a handbasket. And you look, let's go back to Katrina, way back at the beginning of the century, okay? We saw Katrina destroy the levees, destroy the, the means of protecting New Orleans and all those poor folk down there, right? We, and that didn't create the energy to change our infrastructure. And now here we are in 2023, most people are trying to put their hand to mouth with food, trying to earn, despite, in spite of any effort to explain how hard it is for regular people right now, people that have it a little bit better struggle with understanding the absolute strain, the reason why people can't sleep at night. So now enter in Palestine, Ohio. These railways, this was done by, unfortunately, a Trump rescinding of a regulation back in, I think it was 2018. Biden could have easily fixed this, did not do it. Buttigieg could have fixed it, did not. In the end, the railways, because our government is bought and sold by the highest bidder in the corporate, uh, you know, corporate strata, they literally are there to defend capital. But your infrastructure across the country is falling apart, just like what you saw and see in Palestine. The railways are only but one small part of the infrastructure. What's going to happen when you drive across a major suspension bridge with rush hour and all of a sudden a big section of the bridge falls out and 30 cars fall into the Pacific? That happened. 20 of you course remember it that was like, no, no, no. We, uh, that's interesting. I think it was somewhere like, was it in Wisconsin or Kentucky? Like where there was, it was big. That I don't it, remember. It was within the past, I want to say 15 years that this bridge collapsed and over a river and a ton of people died. And, and it's, and it just sort of went away at Seattle. No, it wasn't. I mean, there might've been that too. There, that I'm not debating that, but no, there was something in the Midwest that was Carl just horrible. Minnesota. Okay, Minnesota. Thank you. And so, it was just this horrible thing. And 
it like never went anywhere. Like it's, it's not, it wasn't a sexy enough story. And I always found that fascinating until now fast forward where we just had last two summers ago, a building collapse in Surfside and yet they're not doing an investigation. So this is, so we're seeing it's, we're not, we don't do things about anything. Jen, do you remember this? I, I want you I want you to think about this real quick while you're reviewing that. I want you to put this in here. Our friends in the progressive movement, our friends in the Bernie crap party, our friends that are going to follow Shama, our friends that will follow Pete, our friends that will follow Andrew, our friends that will follow all these different Democrat leaders don't understand economics. And because we have such an absolute ignorance in this country and the activist community about money coming from the feds and states being currency users, even the people pushing for state-based policies don't understand this as well. So what's happening right now? You have a race to the bottom that is clouding everyone's judgment. The states themselves are slashing and burning everything they can because the money the federal government was spending in is drying up. And so the only money that's making it through is interest payments from raising interest, uh, you know, on the on uh, loan lending, interbank lending, et cetera. The interest rate that the Fed has propped up has been the only thing infusing new money into the economy. Think about that for a minute. So all that money is going where rich people already are. It's not going down here amongst right. the people. It's not trickling down, Steve. We're not, not seeing trickling the trickling down. down. That warm stuff is only urine on your head. It's not money. <laughs> Trust but me. all the Democrats do is give you an umbrella. You know exactly. what I mean? Like they're not going to stop it from happening. They'll just give you an umbrella. But this, I want to, I want to really, I'm, I'm giving you a rather large picture yeah. so you understand how in the world, how in the world are our friends in any of these great groups that are organizing people together that are doing good things? They're beyond reproach. How dare you say anything bad because they're doing something important. But if you talk to them and you explain to them how the currency issuing national government is ridiculously different than the currency using state of Delaware, the currency using state of Maryland, the currency issuing our user state of New Mexico, uh, uh, you know, of Ohio, of Wisconsin, of whatever. When you explain to them that these states are very different and that the only way that they can solve problems is to ta- tax people. And once they start raising taxes on people, guess what happens every single effing time? Texas raises its hand and says, come on down, Texas boy. We got ourselves a freebie here. We got no state tax. Come no, come on in. Come, we take good care of you. Come on, Jeff Bezos, bring us a couple of them. They're Amazon warehouses down here in Texas. We need, we'll, we'll take you care of you. And so those states that thought they were being clever, raising taxes to pay for medical care or made for this, they done cost themselves their tax base because the game is, I'm watching you. Which one of you idiots is going to raise taxes? Hey, come on down here. And they will immediately roll out the red carpet. I mean, go back to, uh, what's his name? Perry, Governor Perry. Go back to W even. What was her name? Uh, Georgia, whatever her name was, the woman that ran Texas. I can't remember her name. Ann Richards. There you go. She did the same thing. 
but she was an then, awesome sauce person. And I, do not, do not bad mouth. And she, first of all, she wrote a Harley. Just don't bad mouth. Don't bad mouth. All right. We'll, we'll just lump her in without saying anything. Okay. She just fits that bucket. But then let's go to Kansas. Let's go to Sam Brownback. Oh, Friday. Sam Brownback. Yeah. He's, he's the a, same a, thing. Okay. They sat there and said, come on down here to Kansas. We got you a place. And they cut the schools to the point where the books were falling apart. You get half of a book, you get half of a chair, you get no food, you get windows broken out. It was horrible. Okay. But this is the essence of the race to the bottom and why the infrastructure in this country cannot be solved by capitalism, cannot be solved by the states must be solved at the federal level. And that brings me to my favorite non-privateering mindedness. And that is we need to fucking nationalize the railways. We need to nationalize the airways. We need to get Pete Buttigieg the fuck out. Oh. <laughs> okay. And we need to get someone in like Sarah Nelson that understands the airline industry. And we need to get somebody that understands real honest to God public ownership real honest to God, union ownership. And the fact is that the rank and file out there don't see this as important, mostly yet still, still don't see it as important. And, and we haven't made our case strong enough because what they see is sadly people fighting over bathroom breaks. They don't see this as a means of taking the power back for that larger right. class union struggle, okay? And then what you have is people from the 70s and 80s, and God knows I used to be local CWA, was it local CWA 2222, right? And they would sit there and, well, we got to make sure that they can't sit there and gig you for not wearing glasses if your safety cones are out. What? Okay, that's, that's definitely the hill to die on today, folks, right? We're learning that class struggle unionism is the way forward, but most unions are unwilling to join forces. They're willing to stay in their narrow lane. And so I'm talking with people, very good friends in the union that are high up, that are movers and shakers and trying to make things happen. And the temperature from the rank and file is I don't want to lose what I got over here. It may not be great, but I don't want to lose that. So I'm not willing to bond with you guys for your issue. You need me. I don't need you. Go away. And that's the real story right now. So there's a lot of change that has to take place between our ears and that requires this constant message. So that's the one thing that I'm really hoping comes out of Shama's efforts Yeah, is well, that angle. Yeah, well, and I think if there's anybody that I know of that has like actual wins under their belt and is an actual person who is the real deal, it's her. So, you know, like I look at her as somebody, if anybody could do that, and break through to these different unions. And by the way, unions are not all necessarily on board with rank and file either. So that's, that's, right. a, that's a whole other thing when you start looking at union leadership and how they do not properly represent the rank and file. But I think we can learn something from at least how far the railroad union has come in that they are, now we're at least a 12 union block. Like yeah. that, didn't, that didn't used to exist so, I mean, that's, you know, some progress in that sort of cohesion, but mm -hmm. the AFL-CIO does not seem to be doing that really well. Isn't that like what it's- the national isn't, but Vermont is. Is that, tr is that true? So they're like- David Van Dusen is working his ass off. They give David okay. Van Dusen and Liz Medina their props, but the rest of the AFL-CIO, 
still very corporate still very we have a problem here way. in Broward. We have a, specifically have a problem here in Broward that it's like, it's a terminal problem. The problem with the AFL-CIO is that they are the number one union that is in lockstep with the Democratic Party establishment. And the yep. more you go to these local events, like the one we had here over the weekend. Oh, yeah. it was the Obama-Clinton <laughs> dinner, the Black Tie Gala. And then if you look at what goes on on the Hill, you know, you see that their primary concern is not for workers. It is for reelecting the Democratic Party. Absolutely. And so sooner people it. realize that uh, this is everyone's thinking we always have to play defense against the GOP. Not if you have a economic populist message that is led by workers. Well, and, yep. and but it is important that there are rank and file people that yes. are getting very restless with union leadership. And yes. there is definitely this sort of like simmering thing going on, because I know when they were having those railroad workers, the, the discussions, you know, we had Max Alvarez on. We've had him on a couple of times about this. You know, the workers were not happy with those choices. There were there was a lot of very, you know, notable, very disgruntlement amongst those wor workers in the rank and file. They were not happy. They wanted to they wanted to go on strike. So it's just about, I think about more awareness and more empowering of rank and file. And I think she's somebody that could really do that. How do you see things going with workers strike back yeah. with Shama at the top? Well, well, I want to give you a Shama story that she's, I think she heard it from me directly years ago, but it's one that it's my warmest moment in the Bernie movement. Almost. We were, all filming Philadelphia. We were out there at the um, People's Conference before the DNC happened, or the People's Convention before that. Jill was there. Nina was you were there. there. Wait, you were he there? He was for there. That? I was there. Yeah, yeah. I would. I got great stories. We can have a good time with that one. I mean, I, this is like, oh, about. hey, I saw you with the Dead Show <laughs> in '89. I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm a few feet from the stage. I'm a few feet. From oh the my stage. God! This is the first yeah. time that I actually heard Nina speak in person. And then I saw Nina hug Jill Stein and she did this in front of national TV cameras. And I said, oh, this is going to play. And sure enough, they kicked her out of the convention. So, so if anybody knows what it started from, it started from Tell us your Shama story, because I'm sort so, of like- Well, let me tell Peter's story first since he did that, but then I'll jump right to Shama. So I was sitting in the second rail of that uh, upstairs. Oh, I was upstairs on the church, because it used to be a church. Exactly. And I was yeah. right there in the wood filming. Right. And I'm there with half of that was when real progressives was really hopping. And Claudia Stauber kind of worked. But if you all remember, she's kind of going a little different. And I'm sitting there. I had never filmed an event like this. I mean, I have a really crappy camera that keeps overheating. I didn't know what I was doing. I was rookie field rook. Right. And I'm sitting up there and I'm looking. I'm like, what is going on? And I'm like arching over the the thing. And there's Claudia Stauber crawling underneath of the pews to get up to the front. And she crawls right up between Nina and Jill who are sitting right there. <laughs> she literally crawled. I'm like, that's how you get a freaking story right there, you know? And so I will never forget. That was one of my favorite moments, but that's not the one. The one that I was going to talk about was Shama. Yeah. She was standing on top of a bus right in the middle of a huge crowd. Yeah. She's got the wildest bell bottoms you've ever seen <laughs> and this floppy, funky hat that nobody in their right mind wears unless you're Shama Swan on top of a bus in the middle of thousands of people. And there she is. 
and she put her fist in the air. Yeah. And I started crying like a baby, like a baby. I was like, that's it. I'll follow you anywhere. Uh, you know, and, and it just was one of the most impressive moments of the whole thing. And that was my introduction to Shama. Cause remember I come from the right wing that yeah. was still new. Me coming into this Bernie thing was different. Me support. I was like, wow, this is wild. And here I am cruising further and further to the left. And by the time it was all said and done, I was pulling for Jill. I was, you know, interviewing Jill. I was running for Jill. I was, you know, I'm at this March with a, 55 Capitals jersey, which was Mike Green. So I'm like, you know, wearing my green jersey approach. It's stupid shit, but it was just stuff I remember. And Shama was, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. The wind was blowing. Here's this Indian woman with her hat flapping and her bell bottoms going and her fist in the air. And I just, I felt like it was 1970. And I felt like we were just in the midst of something really special. And it's a shame it didn't quite work out that way, but it was a very inspiring moment. Well, that was just, I mean, yeah, it was a, and, and again, as far as Metalopoly is concerned, I mean, that's, he's just referring to the location. It was an old, it was a converted church. It no, but I, and, but I have an answer for him. Metalopoly, the reason okay. that the leftists use places like churches is because a lot of times churches are willing to let them use their spaces for either little to no cost and a lot of other places are expensive. So for real leftist and grassroots types of um, organizations, it's where they have stuff. Yeah, but this is this is a um it's not Masons, it's um it's okay, no, oh it doesn't goodness. matter, but I am saying that is something that I have come we have our Absolutely. progressive groups have oftentimes meetings, especially at Universal, uh the Unitarian yeah. Universalist, yeah. and even at the Episcopalian Church, they let us use their space. That's why. You know, you think yep. back to some of the past presidents and ones that have done executive action as they've needed to, our governor did a very good executive action regarding uh, net metering, which was last year, and it never should have happened. You know, when the infrastructure bill was being passed, everyone knew that this was the biggest corporate giveaway if there ever was a corporate giveaway. And they're like, oh, look, we're getting the Republicans to come on board. You would have passed it anyway without them. You knew what this bill was about. You knew that what was planned was to basically just be a complete giveaway to corporate America. Biden could have vetoed the bill. So everyone is saying, well, you know, they did. It, it, it still has to get to his desk and he still has to sign the bill into law and say, this is what we're doing. If the lack of real infrastructure is more evident, it's that we passed an infrastructure bill that wasn't really an infrastructure bill. And the rubes that are out there saying, you see, we actually passed this legislation. It's no different than when I say, why is it worse when the Democratic Party passes legislation than when the Republican Party does on the Hill? Because when the Democratic Party passes legislation, they don't pass a 10-page bill. They pass a thousand-page bill that no one reads or understands. And those that do understand are the ones that are having their corporate giveaway. And it's masked as, well, the Democrats are actually fighting <coughs> workers, but they're not, not even close. And yet people like Matt Gates and his little crew were the people calling out those ridiculous bills. And you don't even have, like, they keep giving imagine them Imagine if free we had wins. a real, and I'm not even saying it needing to be the squad. I'm saying, imagine if there was that rabble-rousing contingent of the Matt Gateses and Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world that were actually fighting on behalf of workers. Well, yes, it if would we actually be the workers. That. It, that would be if we had a workers' party. 
If we had a workers' party and a parliamentarian system, they would be doing that. Now That's the parliamentarian is always in the way. <laughs> that parliamentarian, man, don't don't forget, guys. We're supporting Mansion Parliamentarian for 2024. Okay, that's our pick. Heard it here first. You see the constant conversation. Um, I could I could pull up an article, but as you know, right now the conversation is coming full circle. This is one of the reasons we wanted you on this evening. Every time the GOP takes over, there's always this conversation They're about ooh, we have to cut social uh, security. You know, social security has to be cut. It's the only way that we can balance the budget. Uh, we all know that a lot of this stuff. Uh, you know, you can go from a variety of different articles that are out there right now. Uh, there was another article that came out in the Hill today: Social Security, Medicare clash comes down to what constitutes a cut. That's sort of like what the definition of is is. Is that like what we're talking about? What the definition is of a cut? Are we really arguing that? It seems so commonplace as far as I can see that the only reason we talk about we have to do this Social Security or Medicare cut is because we will never be cutting the budget of the rich. We're not doing that. We are going to cut the budget of those who need help. And why do we need help, my friend? Because austerity is what keeps people scared to death of changing anything. Tell me I'm wrong. It's murder. Oh. It is. <laughs> and what's fascinating is, is that people's social security is, is their money. It's, yeah, it's yeah. The well, money. hold on, hold on. No, Jen, I'm going to school you out of that. I, I no, really well, am. You I, know what I, okay, I know what you're saying. It isn't. It's but super the important, is, though. The, the point is, is that these people have been working that and in their mind, and this is the, something that they've been contributing to. So yep. it's sort of like, that's the deal. That's you open the up, deal. open the link I just sent you. I you sent you a link in the one? private chat. Yeah. Okay. If you can't, if you can't do it, you can let me share. Oh, I, I have it. a, I, I have it. a, oh, um, we got it. Pull well, it's up. a sub stack that you have to subscribe to. So if you don't have, if you doesn't let you in is my point. Uh, oh, I'll just, I see. Yeah, we I'll, I'll happily. I'll yeah, we have it. paywall, right? Yeah, so if yeah, you want, can I can I can share it. That's not a problem at yeah. all. It lets me read like half the article. So you know what? Yeah. Let me pull it and- You could tell us I'll, about I'll, this. I'll pull that up because I think it'll be good. And it'll obviously be important because, you know, Stephanie obviously no. knows her stuff. And so can we still afford Social Security and Medicare? All right. So, so I, what I want to do- yeah. yeah. Yes, if, you, if we scroll down here, to the, what what she's done is she references Scott Fulweiler, who is a great economic mind from the University of Kansas, Missouri, and he is also um, a uh, adjunct at Torrens University in Australia. Hmm. Um, this guy is a brilliant man, and he is one of the leading voices on understanding Social Security. So I want to read, if you don't mind, this section of okay. of what he writes. All right, and it says. There are three separate issues regarding ability to provide Social Security, Medicare in future years, financial ability to pay, legal authority to pay, and productive capacity to provide increasing standards of living to future workers and non-workers. Unfortunately, these three separate issues are not kept separate in public discourse by journalists, policymakers, Social Security and Medicare trustees, and even economists. 
First, though, let's understand that Social Security and Medicare trust funds are about the legal authority to provide benefits. They are not about the financial ability to provide benefits at all. And then she references this. I'll quickly flip. Let me see if there's any value in that. Yeah, saving Social Security from its saviors is a good one. We can go back to that some of the time. But I'm just going to go back to this. It says, in the future, when, if the payroll tax does not cover legal authority to pay all benefits in Social Security, Medicare, cash in, the bonds owned by the trust fund, government will get legal authority to pay benefits via general revenues or selling securities in deficit. But this is exactly what government would do without trust funds. Get legal authority to pay benefits beyond payroll revenues, either from general revenues or selling securities deficit. Because government does the same thing with or without trust funds, trust funds do not provide financial ability to pay, only legal ability to pay. But just as sufficient balances and trust funds provide no financial ability to pay shortfalls, to pay. Shortfall is not a legitimate argument against financial ability to pay. Financial ability to pay, to provide future benefits is never in question for a monetary sovereign. Financial ability to pay is a policy choice, not a constraint. Yeah. Greenspan, and we've talked about this. We've had this link in our last uh, time we this? talked about this. You want me to add this to the string? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think this yeah. is... I think it's very much important, but let me finish reading this because it's only like two more things. A couple more. He says legal authority to pay is also a policy choice, not a constraint. For example, government could pass a law giving trust funds 100% interest year per year. Remember trust funds aren't about finance. So it's not a problem financially, which would provide legal authority to pay social security, Medicare forever. Another example of providing legal authority to pay for future benefits is to pass a law saying government will pay full benefits, period. Nothing else. That's it. And she explains how we do this in some case. And she's got all this other stuff down here. So bottom line, let's just say it. The bottom line about Social Security is the ability, the legal authority to say, yes, make the payments. The federal government goes, you sure? They're like, yes. And the federal government creates new money and spends new money into existence to make every payment. It is never broke. It can't go broke, period. And so the idea of giving that air cover and allowing the lie to live on, FICA is the most regressive tax on the planet, bar none. Get rid of FICA taxes altogether, completely. Make Social Security a right to all citizens, make it so that there is no pay-in for right. Social Security, period. So the idea, and it's not just a, this is literally a matter of changing four words in the actual current Social Security legislation. Instead of the authority to pay, just say Congress will pay. And it's done. Just like Medicare. You know, Medicare is a trust fund, but guess what? If the Medicare trust fund doesn't have anybody who cares, they don't care. All payments are always made, period. There is no issue of, well, the Medicare trust funds running out of, nope, not a penny. Doesn't matter. Does not matter at all because they added the simple language of Congress will make payments, period. period. So the question, the question becomes when the libertarian austerity hawks like 
Clint Russell, who came on, or other members of the political right that see this as micro and macroeconomics are the exact same thing, meaning that the way you balance- You can't cure stupid, dude. You just can't cure stupid. (laughs) Be that as it may, if state and local budgets are not the same as federal, and somebody were to say, all right, well, why don't we just give- everybody's social security. Why don't we just give everybody this, that, and the other thing? And the argument becomes, well, doesn't that devalue our currency? That has nothing to do with our currency. Okay. So, and obviously the response that Clint gave regarding that our currency is completely tied to the petrodollar. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to entertain that. Uh, There is an argument to be made for how Mm. much the petrodollar plays a role. That's fine. But to say that the petrodollar dictates what the value of our dollar is, is, I mean, I couldn't even believe he said that. Nevertheless, what do you say to somebody who says there's a limit to how much money we can print and give to the people, if you will? Okay. First of all, there is a limit, but the limit is inflation, real inflation. Okay. The problem here is this. During this pandemic, what did we see? We saw the government spend money to keep the world afloat while we were shut down. Okay. And so what did that signal to a lot of these companies? Because truly disgraceful people run around saying that printing money causes inflation. These gover- these co- companies know that the brain trust of this population is down below kindergarten level when it comes to macroeconomics. And so they know when they say, oh, my God, you printed all this money. Now we got inflation. Nobody stops to say, huh? how did that happen? How does a stack of money sitting here on this table create inflation? Do me a favor. I got time. Man, I'll pop my popcorn. I'll get my beer. Let's talk. Smoke a J. Tell me how that stack of money creates inflation. If you can't answer that question, I've got an elbow of truth to drop from the top rope. It's like, come on, answer the question. How the hell did that stack of money create inflation? It didn't. You guys, and you saw it, 833% profits. Yeah. You saw 500% profits. You saw gouging across the board. Why? Because trash libertarians spread this nonsense and it's repeated ad nauseum. And then instead of punching up at the price gouging, these wasteoids punch down like you mooching some bitch. They're just printing money. They're destroying money. They're destroying the currency. Goddamn, we're on a gold standard, right? 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 Ain't that what it is? No, dummy. It's not. We're not on a gold standard. We're not fucking on a gold standard. I'm sorry, Charlie. We aren't. You gold debated him, in right? 1972. You debated. You debated. I don't. I don't. I, I, to, to I, debate, I, but. I did one of those things. I don't know if you ever saw um, Muhammad Ali when he did the shuttle step, shutter step. In, you I've know. Seen, I know what you're talking about. I did that stuff. I was like, I mean, he, I, I'm, with all due respect, nice enough guy. I have no animus toward him as a human being. His mind, though. Wow. Well, you know what it is? It's like, to me, it is somebody who basically was traumatized and their whole life and that was pulled out from under them. And somebody who was generally used to some amount of privilege in society, a small business owner, and their whole world came undone and somebody has to be accountable for that. Yeah. And so that's, that's the, that's the mindset. It's sort of like any other post-trauma making decisions on policy based on trauma is probably not the best way to go. No, let me, let me just, let me just say a couple of things real quick. Cause I'm, I'm, I don't want to beat up on Clint. I mean, he's easy target because he says some really stupid things that said, 
nice guy though. Yeah. Genuinely nice guy. So I, I, I want to be crystal clear here. It's not, yeah. a, but I, his economics, it's like, dude, man, I was a libertarian. I used to be an L-O-L-bertarian. Okay. And so I changed, I grew up. Right. And it's not because I like fiat currency. I didn't walk in the door liking fiat currency. I, I, I walked in the door gold bug. I walked in a worthless Ron Paul bot. Okay. And because of that idiocy that I had sucked in, I was basically a, I'm going to stay in my uh, Warren Jeffs zone. I was in a cult, the cult of libertarian idiocy. Okay. And I didn't understand because you cannot conduct a society without any kinds of collaborative coercion. With all due respect, coercion sucks, but there's things we've got to do as a society to move in the same direction. Okay. It's not the wild, wild west. We, it's just not, capable of functioning in that way. What do you think not. got you into, like, what do you think it was that ha- like how, where you come from that got you into that in the first place where you think, yes, we're all an island, pull yourself up from your bootstraps, every man for himself. Well, I had been a drunk, derelict, homeless son of a bitch that had somehow or another worked his way through family, begging, borrowing, stealing, doing whatever I could to get two master's degrees and everything else. And I was like, fuck it. If I can do it, you can do it. And it, and it became a chip on my shoulder because I got really pissed off at a lot of the bougie assholes out there who acted like they were better than I was. But I, I dusted their ass. I passed them, right? But then I realized in the end, as I fell further, because I had risen high, I fell far, okay? And it was in that moment that I was like, it wasn't any good before I did this. And it's not any good after I did this. Something's really fucked up in the sauce, Let's yeah. get to the ingredients. And so Ron Paul said a lot of really great things. I had, I have still got old pictures of me with all my Ron Paul shirts and my whole front yard used to be covered in Ron Paul signs. Everything I did was Ron Paul creature from Jekyll Isle. Fuck that fiat stuff, man. We need to get back on the gold standard. I, I said all the same moronic things. The petrodollar. Let me, let's talk about the petrodollar. Okay. Right, okay? Let's, cause I, you Petro- know, most of this stuff doesn't really make sense to me, but I'm good. I can't allocate too much mental energy to understanding this. I really just, you, can't. you, this is so easy. A caveman okay. can learn. You can try to understand the point it. spread of a game. And, and Jason's explained it to me a thousand times. He's even drawn pictures. So I'm just, just saying <laughs> there are certain things. Go ahead. Petrodollar. Just think about it like this, right? So you have to purchase, they've priced gas in a common currency. Okay. Now, what is the need to have that currency to purchase that gas matter? Well, Warren Mosler would tell you what matters is the currency people want to save in, okay? But in reality, anybody can get U.S. dollars. All they have to do is swap them on the FX exchange. The difference will be whether or not their currency is strong against the dollar and what the exchange rate is, and they can get U.S. dollars to buy their gas. But in the end, they don't want to keep U.S. dollars necessarily unless it serves some need. Are they doing a shit ton of business with the U.S.? If they are, they're going to want a shit ton of U.S. dollars. If they're people like Venezuelans who have pegged their currency to U.S. dollars, they need to have a commensurate amount of reserves of U.S. dollars to facilitate transactions in that currency because it's not their currency. So these are things that having an external peg or an external constraint create like almost a pseudo tax. You've got to have U.S. dollars to get petroleum. It's priced in that. But they don't keep U.S. dollars because they don't use U.S. dollars at home. They just use them for transactions for this. So it's a swap. And so there's a lot of calculations they go through. But in the end, that does create a special thing for us on the global stage. It does. It, it does produce some privilege for sure. 
But if it collapsed, just like the there's no Japanese petrodollar, and the Japanese still have no problem whatsoever running a 300 to one uh, debt to GDP ratio. Okay, they have a 300 percent debt to GDP ratio. Think about that for a minute. Yeah, I am, and I don't even under like I can't. In other words, they are creating more money for Japanese world, and they are buying their own securities for no reason other than that's the game they're playing. In other words, they're spending more than they're taxing 300%, okay? Okay. They're like the U.S. The difference is they don't have idiots. They're saying, yeah, we're going to do this because it makes sense. Right. Okay. China does the same thing. All their Belt and Road initiative. hey, how come the Chinese poor people haven't paid all their uh, taxes to fund all these big Belt and, you know, one Belt, one Road initiative? Because the freaking government creates its own currency and does it. Okay. Jesus Christ. It's like these moments of blinding flashes of the obvious. I mean, at some point in time, the concepts that we've used as tropes to kind of say, oh, the dollar's going to die. This is going to happen. As much as I want empire to go away, understanding the way the currency has been used as a weapon is more about the ability to cut people off with the SWIFT system. You saw what happened with Russia when we cut them off with the SWIFT system. They turned around and they started using gold in the back end. It wasn't what they wanted to use, but it was a way of de- getting away from the SWIFT system. Okay, and so answer this question that Metalopoly has. Shouldn't money have something tangible backing it rather than Fuck imaginary no. money on Fuck a spreadsheet? No. Okay. Fuck no. Okay, because a free-floating fiat currency allows the most policy space to take care of your people. The problem is, is that our country isn't taking care of, you're not seeing wild fluctuations in your value of your dollar. It's not happening. Yes, there's some mild inflation. It, it feels like a lot because shit, anything raises up is a lot hurts because we don't create our own currency. Okay, but the fact of the matter is, is that the U.S. government, everything that we're seeing is 100% a policy choice by them. Why would they raise interest rates to prevent corn prices from going up? Why would they raise interest rates to stop fuel prices from going up? Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Because there's no it, there's no impact, there's no tangible tie to it. Okay. What they're doing, what they're fundamentally doing there is they're taking and putting the burden of balancing the inflation and bringing inflation down on the backs of we, the people, okay? Instead of the price gougers, what could they do just as easy as raise interest rates and put, put pressure on us? They could put price controls. They could collar commodities. They could literally set up uh, bountiful, um, you know, like buffer stocks of these things to prevent the kind of gouging to literally take pressure out of the market by in putting more out there to prevent them from gouging. So, so much of this is a matter of purpose. They're capitalists and they want to make sure that capital wins at the expense of we, the people, the more precarity we're in, the more power they have, the more power they have, the more able they are to make us do things we don't want to do. Okay. And the more they're able to give us bad choices, like, do you want Trump or do you want Biden? Wow. Really? Is that, is that really it? Okay. Well, shit, you know, and so they purposely put poison pills out there for us. Yeah. And, and in the end, if, if you, if you understand like things like the petrodollar, they were used to standardize, to create a dollar standard around the world. So they were trying to 
build a platform that enabled the dollar to kind of be the default reserve currency, right? Well, there's a basket of reserve currencies. It isn't just the U.S. dollar. And so because we've got 800 bases around the world, there's a lot of need for the U.S. dollar. And there's a lot of use of it for coercion and for um, extraction and for debts and all kinds of other things that are geopolitical in nature that have nothing to do with finance and everything to do with slavery. Okay. So to me, when I look at this and I look at it, honestly, I say, get rid of the petrodollar. What is it going to do? It's going to make the U S dollar less strong in terms of being able to hold power in other countries. It's going to take away some of the power we have in forcing people to do various things that we would like them to do. Um, And that's a good thing, right? But it's not going to bring an end to the dollar. What it might do is it might bring an end to hegemony, which will allow other countries to get out from under the claws of the United States SWIFT system. But alas, don't forget, with the IMF there as the big money giver, all right, the IMF is there. I'm kind of rooting for the BRICS in the sense to produce an alternative to the IMF. I'm kind of looking at these other groups to present a non-predatory version of the IMF so that people are in cooperation, not in predation. So the petrodollar in and of itself is a nothing burger, okay? It's like Chuck E. Cheese. You went to the Chuck E. Cheese, you put your dollar in the machine, you got Chuck Bucks out, you finish playing your Chuck E. Cheese games, you have five Chuck Bucks left over, cash them in and get your money back. Or get a cheap gift, you know. (laughs) Whatever, right? And so it, it kind of cracked. The petrodollar is quite a real system. Yes, the petrodollar is what we price fuel in, but it is not something that is actually driving the quote unquote value of the dollar. What the, the, the issue we have to get our heads around is, do we want to be an empire? If we want to be an empire, and I, I don't want to be one, by the way, but if we want to be right. an empire, Okay, then we care about the petrodollar. Then we want to have the dollar as the the primary world reserve currency. We want to have the IMF, the World Trade Organization and the World Bank heavily involved in every one of these countries lives to keep them tied to us. We want that. If we want to be a cooperative society, we find ways of democratizing those institutions, take away the structural adjustments the U.S. imposes to enforce U.S. markets. Okay, and it does the things that we would say to do, but they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. Why are they not going to do that? Because they love empire. Empire serves their needs. Okay. Mm. But there are some costs to ending empire. Bringing production back home means there's going to be a different kind of work. There's going to be a different kind of industrial structure to society. We're going to be back to having shift work at the, at the plant. We're going to be back to doing things that we've gotten away from doing, that we've gotten into service work to do, whereas instead of standing 12 hours at an assembly line doing stuff. But guess what? The more we talk about production, the more we talk about industrialization, all of a sudden we get to that boogeyman automation, right? And that's where the UBI folks come out of the woodwork. And what I'm here to say is that we have options there too. We don't have to just do work for the man. We can create societal jobs in our communities through a federal job guarantee that makes it so these predatory corporations are unable to predate on you and I and our friends and neighbors and family members and the people that are most vulnerable. So to me, you know, there's answers to every one of these problems. Uh, The petrodollar is not a problem. 
Uh, it, it is what it is. It's not a big deal. I know that people really, really put it out there like it is. And I appreciate that the people believe that it is. But I'm here to tell you that if we do it, we lose a little bit of privilege. In the end, we lose access to cheap imports. And most of the cheap imports have come as a direct result of empire and neocolonialism through the IMF and other things like there that. There is no question yeah. that the average American has basically accepted their own demise. Yes, so many Absolutely. opportunities to just stand in the way of this and say, we're not going to take this, you know. I think the average American doesn't even know what the term empire is, what we're referring exactly. to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 and I'm so glad you said that. It's true. So I mean, like if that. I were to bring that up, let's say it to some of the ladies in my Pilates class or somewhere where I'm just, you know, around people that are not in our circle and I use the term empire it's not something that they hear and that they're familiar with. Because they've never stared down the barrel of a gun. No, and well, as soon as I mean, somebody well does, our propaganda machine's pretty vicious in making very, sure we don't look sure. like in an empire. And and this is this is the hardest thing I think for me. Like 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 just take everything out. Let, let me tell you about myself real quick. Wow. For me, thinking through these problems is a very big challenge too. Like I I know what I've been propagandized with. I know that I still I yearn for this flag to matter again. I, I, I There's a part of me that really appreciates what nationalism brings. It brings some weird community, sense of community and, and bonding and shared struggle and shared experience and, and all these things that, and, and you know, you can see this firsthand whenever you go to a World Cup soccer game or watching on television or whatever, or you're riding in a metro and you're hearing the the Italians on one side of the train and the Mexicans on the other. And it's like, Mexico, Mexico, rah, rah, rah. And they're all doing it together. And they go, Italy. And they're singing these songs. You have no idea what the hell they're saying, but it sounds great. And you want to sing it with them so bad because we don't have that. So all of a sudden they come out, I'm proud to be American. We're at least I know. And it's like, God, God, give me another culture, please. God, give me <laughs> Steve, we need you to explain the national debt because now people have paid a lot of money for that here in our chat. We're sort of like one of those girly peep shows where we just sort of do things for money. Like, and and yes, Danny Windham, we will bring out Bill for you to explain. What was it that he wanted Bill to explain? Uh, I don't remember. We'll go back and look. But so can you please explain to the people the national debt? So when the United States government spends money, writes it a bill, and it issues uh, instructions to the Fed to create currency, after that, it also simultaneously issues a similar amount of bonds to offset the new spending. Okay? You either have taxes that did it, or you have new bond sales that did it. The bond sales are one-to-one -one for the dollar spent, you have bonds offsetting it. The bonds don't fund it, but this is an anachronism from the gold standard. Why? Because if you printed, back then it was printing, if you printed more money against a finite pool of gold, you would devalue the currency. Okay, that was the, the way the gold standard operated. Now, yeah. it didn't really operate that way, but that's, that's theoretically the way it worked. Okay. Now, what happens is each of those bonds, each of these dollars, it amounts to every untaxed dollar in the economy today. That's what it amounts to. If the United States government were to pay off the national debt, I want you to know, China, when they buy, or when we buy goods and services from China, we send them $1 trillion in US dollars to buy Chinese goods. 
the Chinese look at this one trillion U.S. dollars and say, well, probably need 200 billion for fuel or one trillion for whatever. And so we'll keep this much in our back pocket to facilitate other transactions. But the rest of this money, what are we going to do with it? We're going to send it down there to where they bargain at the the local, uh, you know, uh, what do they call it? The, the bazaar where you go in there. I'll pay $10 for that. No, yeah. you give me 20 and I'll you know, bargain. Flea market. The flea market. Yes, exactly. So they're not going to do this. So what do they do? They take that money that they earned already. They're U.S. dollars. They already have them. And they say, well, I'd rather earn 1% interest on this money that I've earned. So they go ahead and buy treasuries and keep it parked there. Now, in theory, what this does is, number one, it is a safe investment because U.S. checks don't bounce. Okay, government checks do not bounce. So they're always getting this guaranteed money. There's no risk. It's a zero risk investment, man. Give me more of that, right? And if I had a trillion dollars and I could earn 1% off a trillion, that's a lot of cheddar, isn't it? You know what I mean? 1% of a trillion is a lot of freaking money. So if you, in 2% or 7% now, right? I mean, you know, as the interest rates go up and they, the bonds are, are at a different rate, they might make it a 30 year, they might make it a five year, they might make it a six month, a three month bond, whatever. And then what do they do? They transition those bonds and they resell them and they decide, hey, the Federal Reserve sitting in the back going, do we need three month bonds or do we need six month bonds? Maybe we need 12 month bonds, maybe a five year bond. <laughs> you know, you're going to have a bond. You'll have a bond. And that's what the national debt is. It's money they already owe. They already own that they've decided to park and get an interest like a savings account that we would have. Now, where does that money come from? It was already pre-budgeted. It was already pre-created. They already knew that this, we're going to sell this $5 million bond and we're going to sell it at 2%. So we know what is 2% over this number of time. So we pre, we know that that money is there. It's already there. It's created. It's done. So if we pay off all the debt, all we've done is closed all their accounts, but the money is still out there in the economy. Oh, they're going to dump all their bonds. I don't care. Dump them away. You just got U.S. dollars. What are you going to do with them? Sit there and use them for kindling? Good for you. I mean, but what are you going to do? It means nothing to me. I don't care. Now, if they come in, they start buying up all of Manhattan and all of Florida. If it gets rid of DeSantis, I'm cool with it, whatever. But bottom line is the fact is they can sit there and use those U.S. dollars to buy up U.S. assets, things for sale in U.S. dollars. But they could do that anyway. If they're buying things from us, that 1% interest isn't the thing that's taking us to a new level. It's that they are, are already buying imports from China. They're getting U.S. dollars. They're holding those U.S. dollars. That's the national debt. We're not borrowing money from China. China, China, China. We need to borrow some money. We need U.S. dollars. China. Can you imagine actually thinking we borrow? China. You imagine thinking we borrow our U.S. dollars from China? You would have to be a neo-maxi zundweeby to do that. I mean, a total neo-maxi. Well, but we need to keep perpetuating that because, you know, we need to have a China narrative that suits us in a very good way that like can make them, we need fear mongering. So it's not going to, you know, I mean, we need to have that. So it's a good thing for them to use. That's, you know, we have to be worried about the Chinese. Like we have to be worried about the Russians. And these are all the people that are coming to hurt us. Well, let me ask you a quick question with that. 
Yeah. What do you think that China, can you buy U.S. bonds in Chinese yen? Uh, uh, yuan. Yuan. Or yuan. Japanese yen. Can you buy government bonds? No, you can't. You have to buy them in U.S. dollars. They're available for sale in U.S. dollars. Why is that? The purpose of the bond is not to borrow money. The right. purpose of the bond is that they wanted to take money out of circulation to offset new money going in. We'll sell bonds to take money out. But the thing is, is that bonds are pretty liquid. You can get rid of bonds quickly. Yeah, you might take a haircut, but you still get a lot of your money back regardless. So it's kind of a farce. It's just changing it from one form of money to another form of money. It's not a real big deal. And so I, I think it's really important when people say we're printing money. Right. You're just going to print all this money. You have my permission. You, well, that's weird. You have my permission to do a running start with your arm out with a clothesline and gully them. <laughs> just do a running start, draw, jump off the top rope and pile drive. I mean, do a, do a suplex figure four leg lock, whatever it takes, <laughs> rake the eyes, salt in the eyes, because it's, it's, we don't print money. We don't just print money. We never just print money. Every time we spend money, Okay, Congress created its new money every single time. We always, not we could, sometimes we do on Saturdays right. and third Tuesdays. That's we just always do it. It's the way it's done, period, with a T at the end, period, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> right? And then when you tax, the minute the federal government taxes, guess what? Goes through a bullshit. I mean, I say it just deletes it. Okay, because that's what it does. In effect, but what it does is it drains reserves, okay? It drains reserves within the banking system. In other words, if you think of the, the light and dark crystal, that way back when the, the old movie, The Dark Crystal, right, and the right, light right. side came together with the dark side and it was like, hey, we're, we're peanut butter and we're chocolate. We're, we're Reese's peanut butter cups, right? They came together, bam, light and dark crystal. And that was the end. That was the end. The dollars had come together. The tax, the, the spend, boom. The light and dark crystal came together and became one. It's it, and it it's it it's over. It did its job, right? It's like a coupon. You cash in the coupon. Oh my God, we got a surplus of coupons here. What are we gonna do with the surplus of coupons? Oh my God, we went to the concert. We've got all these stubs from the concert. Are they only worth fifty percent now? I mean, this is the kind of stupid shit that's said. And we just have to find a way to get past. That's actually they just want really, us fighting amongst each other. All of this is fodder to be yes. fighting. That's actually a really yes. great analogy. You look at a, you think of a dollar as a admission ticket to a concert or to a ball game. It's good while the game is going on, but once you've entered, it's been spent. So after the game is over, it's not like that ticket, aka dollar, has any value. It's been it's been used out of existence. That's right. Now it's back. That's right. And the dollar, it's it, it, the show that it's for is it's a tax credit. So when it comes right. home to yeah. mama and papa tax, it goes bye-bye. It goes, poof, I'm gone. Right. You mean, I thought there was like the treasurer was sort of sitting in the big office and as the tax dollars come in they're they're counting it out so that they know how much we have to spend. <laughs> That's tax. how they know. Breaking Bad style, the big round fat stacks. Like, yeah, hey, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, funny story. The guy Warren Jeffs, who was the old cult leader for I the uh, fundamentalist. Oh, he, he, they, they brought in so much money that they started cutting the cans, cutting cans off and putting fat stacks in the cans, like canned. 
food, putting it in there and shipping it away because they were otherwise going to get busted for all this money. So they were bringing in money left and right. <laughs> just, I was just thinking about that. All I could think of was breaking bad fat stacks. What are they printing, printing FDLS bucks? You know, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Sorry, that's my that's, dumb humor. I, I really think that repeating this message at least once a month Hey man, let's do it. Come on. Um, because I do think even, even friend of the show, Metaopoly, even if it doesn't agree completely, and this could go on and on for hours, obviously, but I do think that once people hear it, they start to think about it and they start to put two and two together and realize yeah, the (laughs) reason why we have an austerity system is because we have a government of, by, and for corporate special interests. And absolutely realize read your Howard Zinn. Yeah. It's not, or are you uh, kidding me? I'm surprised that hasn't been banned, but like that should be required reading or all war is BS as we know. Yes. And so, so much of what we see is constantly being looked at. People are saying to themselves, why is it this way? Why does it feel like I can't get ahead? Why can't I catch a break? Because it's designed for you not to be able to do that. Policy choices. We need serfs. We need expendables, if you will, like the people of East Palestine. They want to sweep that under the rug and pretend like it didn't happen. Why? Because those people, regardless if they voted for Trump or not, are expendable. Oh, for They're God's working sake. class or doesn't matter. Fuck Joy Behar. And the reality is there is a significant portion of the population, regardless of where you land on the political spectrum, that are of a certain level, like a Joy Behar, oh. that look down on society. They just do. Speaking they, of East Palestine, Steve, I know you are way further east because I know when I reached out to you about getting together, yeah. you were like, you were, I, I know that you it's were not, far. Hours and hours away, yes. You're closer to Philly, right? Like you're I'm, I'm close. I'm closer to Baltimore than Philly, actually. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm like right there on the, I'm in Harrisburg, just outside of Harrisburg. I'm near Ski Roundtop if you ever go skiing, right? Yeah, um, that's not where people from Florida go skiing. No. No, it, it's not where we go. I mean, it's, 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 it's definitely these colors don't run, boy. What are you talking about? I'm going deer hunting. Deer hunting, boy. So it's full of that right here. You know, you do make a very good redneck. I, I come from it, man. I, I, I came by it honestly. So, right. You're like middle of Pennsylvania, right? Pennsylvania. That's it, man. No, I'm, I'm from Washington, DC, interestingly enough, but I'm from what they call Southern Maryland or the Washmet region. And so in Southern Maryland, I oftentimes see friends from high school and they sound like, well, we just log up that border down there. We'd be all right. Getting rid of them. They're illegals. You know, so I hear it sadly, you know, and I've, I've just grown to, to, there was a guy I work with, as a cable splicer years ago and his name was beanie. Okay. And he used to always go, come here there, greenhorn. Come here, greenhorn. I'm going to show you how to splice some cable, boy, boy, boy. And I just, I got to the point where it made my skin crawl and my blood boil. And so what did I do? I would sit there and mock him the entire damn time. We'd be out there on a 12 hour cable cut. I'd be like, yo, beanie boy, why don't you go give me some cigarettes at the damn store, boy? One of them goddamn cigarettes, boy. And green up and just like, shut up, grandma. Damn grandma. Uh, that is that is the that is the church at work and uh education not at work. And that's how it works yes. for so very many. 
Steve, we can't thank you enough as always for coming on. Guys, if you are so inclined, make sure you are subscribed to The Real Progressives. And of course, course. Macro and Cheese podcast. You need to get yourself back on there. I'm just not smart enough to go on there. Uh, They talk like You can come on Rogue Scholar. Rogue Scholar, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Real Progress in Action. I'm happy to come on. No, it's not for stupid people. It's for people (laughs) that are not economists mostly. You know what I mean? Like literally, like I'm, Macaron cheese, I try very hard to reserve for people that are going to bring a very profound skill set to a specific topic. And that is definitely not, I don't have ge- it's not for, I don't belong on macaron cheese other than to host it, right? But these guys genuinely yeah. bring forward a very specific set. And I've got a very specific angle I try to draw out of them. So, you know, it's yeah. a different, it's a different um, thing. I'm trying to make sure people see the, the tie into economics and the misery they're feeling in their lives today. And so I want to make sure that people are aware. Um, I figure if people actually pay attention, they'll know how to fight back. Unfortunately, most people, and it's sad though, they want to sit there and they want to try and teach me where these problems are and how it works. And let me tell yeah. you, Steve, the, the petro dollar, let me tell you, Steve, you know, and I'm like, Hey man, Go buy yourself some Bitcoin, dude. Go. Oh, I'm sure boy. you'll have fun. Go go do your thing. You know, Guys, I, I, we, I got till we till we speak again next month, probably. We could we sure. should definitely we like can it. absolutely do that. Stay yes. thank, you, thank you for being nice, flexible. Guys. All right. Bye all. Good to see you, brother. So if you guys do like our content, which I hope you all do, make sure you go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You can get yourself the lovely Lulu sticker. Lulu is is sleepy time right now. But as you can see, you would get this for $5 a month. If you become a $10 a month patron, you know you can get yourself the Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker. Because you know that's our pick. That yes. is our pick for 2024. Yeah, we yeah, still we are hoping we we're not far off because there's already rumblings that Mansion is potentially going to run for president. So who would have thought that maybe our but, prediction was real? But will the parliamentarian be his running mate? That's the question. That's the big. That's one. the big. That question. doesn't have to be determined until the Democratic National Convention. Okay, so we'll so I'm holding soon. out for her. Wait, but you know you we have very, her picture, don't yes, we? But if you are very generous and inclined. For $25 a month patrons, you would get the wonderful Generational Change Jersey Tri-Blend Silky Smooth. Love it. You it is not like it. silky, guys. It's a nice cotton jersey. When you say that, gonna, people probably think it's that like that. that oh, it's material. awesome stuff. But you're gonna, but we're gonna do an order of purple shirts. We, we are gonna have. I think some I do shirts. actually have some extra ones, so we may want to think about those have different backs. Way. But yes, anyway, guys. So yeah, support us. Support Mansion and the Parliamentarian. And if you don't want to put your information on <laughs> the grid, just go to Cash App Dollar Sign Gen Change. Any amount that you want to contribute is obviously very, very appreciated. Helpful. We obviously are very thankful to everyone who contributed so far this evening yeah but we are not done we are reverting we are going old school tonight on generational change we are going back to having a second guest well we're going back into campaign season we are going back into campaign and season. so there's candidates people there are candidates and what better person to kick off the campaign season than somebody who is running to replace adam i really should not be derogatory i'm gonna let it go just i'm don't. just gonna be a nice person about <laughs> it but what a what a time to have on our guest because of the ridiculousness of the culture war that just will not go away. She is running for U.S. Congress in California's 30th district to replace the departing Adam Schiff, who thinks he's going to be the next U.S. Senator from California. We are hoping not. Maybe a girl. Welcome back to Generational Change. Hey, you two. Great to be back. Hello. 
Hi, I'm so glad to see you because the last time you were here was actually the end of my presence on social media entirely from that entire fiasco. And I'd always wanted to have you back and have like a follow up conversation. So, I mean, you know, it could have happened regardless, but, you know, you are running again. So it was a really good opportunity. Yeah, I recall it was. Uh, thank you for having me back. I'm super excited to be here and talk about everything. So now what you're looking at, though, is it's an open seat. Is what we're yes. so that's that's a different scenario. So, and you are you're running on as a Democrat, like this is the Democratic primary. I am, I am running. So technically, it's not a Democratic primary uh, in the California. jungle primaries. Uh, yeah, exactly. So everybody runs at the same time. Uh, and the top two vote getters move on to the general election. Uh, this is my third time running. I ran in 2020. Uh, just missed advancing to the primary or to the general in 2020 by less than one percent. So that really inspired me to run again in 2022. Uh, 2022, we did amazingly. Uh, I ended up beating out seven candidates uh, to move on to the general election uh, against Adam Schiff. So right. it was the first time in uh, Schiff's tenure that he had ever been up against another Democrat in in the general election, and. Um, Although I didn't win, uh, we did really, really well, just all things considered. You know, I was up against, and let me also just uh, preface this with, you know, I've never been disillusioned by the uphill battle against running against somebody such as Adam Schiff, who is, you know, he's got a national profile. Uh, he was sort of glorified in the Democratic Party because of his role in the Trump impeachments, the January 6th committee. Um, and so... Uh, all things considered, the fact that we ended up getting over 60,000 votes uh, against Adam Schiff, um, I was outspent over 500 to one. Uh, he spent over $100 per vote. We spent less than 50 cents per vote, which is essentially unheard of in, in any sort of political scenario. Uh, and it it was really inspiring to me because it, it showed me that people vote based off of their their values and what they want to see in a politician, not necessarily how much money they have raised. And especially when you come in as a candidate like myself, who is uh, grassroots, entirely corporate free, it's really hard to get the kind of money that one needs to run a competitive race. So the fact that we got over 60,000 votes, did so well, beat out seven candidates in the primary election. You know, I don't consider my loss in 2022 to be a loss, but actually really a gain for what is potential for for progressives running, for grassroots candidates who are running. And now in 2024, as you mentioned, it's an open seat. Schiff has announced he's running for Senate. And unsurprisingly, there have been so many people who suddenly are interested in being the representative for California. Gee, who could have seen <laughs> that coming? Imagine that. Imagine yeah. that. And for me, you know, it just it just comes off as so opportunistic. Okay, well, uh, the person who had a right to be in this seat is moving on. So now I'm coming to, you know, to put my name in the hat. And for me, it's like, I, I think about, well, if you... If, if you really care about this district and you really care about what happens to the people in this district, then why are we just seeing your name now? Just because it's an opportunity because the, you know, because the incumbent is moving on. And I just, I don't think that's how politics should work. I think that if you are dissatisfied with your representation, run 
or support somebody who is running because we can't just keep accepting the status quo because it's the status quo. And that's really hard to do in a, a system that is a duopoly. I mean, as you mentioned, I'm running as a Democrat. I wish I didn't have to run as a Democrat, but yeah. my particular district votes about 78% Democratic. So there's virtually no way to win unless you're running as a Democratic, as a Democrat. And, you know, I, uh, I don't mean to totally shit on the Democratic Party. There's a lot of values that I support. But one of the biggest things that I, I do not support is the corporate influence in the Democratic Party. And as of of yet, I'm the only candidate still who has never accepted any sort of corporate donations or any sort of charter school money. And I, I've always said, look at the money, follow the money when you think about your politicians, whether they are a local representative or your federal <laughs> representative, because that's really who uh, your candidate, who you're elected is going to be supporting, not the people. If if you're supporting you know, corporate influence, corporate interests, that, I'm, I'm not here for that. I'm not here to to help corporations. They've already siphoned enough off of the working class, the middle class, that I'm just over that. I couldn't agree more. Would you say that you are distinct in this race in terms of the policy platform? Obviously, name ID is going to be very key. Who else is run. in that race? Yeah, so it is an, it's already such an interesting race because, so when I ran in 2022, uh, my particular primary election, it was the most crowded primary in the entire state of California. And as you know, we have the most number of representatives. We've got 52 representatives. So we had nine people that ran in 2022. I ended up coming second out of nine. One would obviously assume that given that the incumbent is no longer running, I'm one of the front runners this time. And also, unsurprisingly, the media is not portraying me as such. The media is portraying all of these newcomers. All of, I, I shouldn't call them newcomers. They're newcomers to this race, but they are establishment figures who have been you know, entrenched in the establishments locally for years. And uh, there's 12 people in the race already. 12 people, and we're a year out. It was a year ago. Uh, it's a year as of yesterday. And none and of these people ran against Schiff in the first place. None of them. <laughs> the only person, the only two people who have run against Schiff previously are the two Republicans that are currently in the race, Rhonda Kennedy yeah. and then uh, this other dude. Uh, the other candidates, all Democrats, they are all new to this race. Um, you know, I consider my biggest <clears throat> challenger <clears throat> to be uh, my, she was formerly my state representative uh, after the uh, state and congressional redistricting. She's a little bit out of my my state district, but she's still still in my congressional district. She's uh, uh, what I would consider to be center of left. She's probably somewhere between my policy platform and Schiff's policy platform. Uh, but the other candidates that are running, we've got a, a state senator who uh, was just termed out. We have our former city attorney, Mike Fuhrer, uh, who also- All establishment goons. These are all, all establishment, establishment goons. And by the way, I have it like to me, people that only wait for seats to be open are cowards. Yeah. And, I, and I've, I've thought that for a long time. And in fact, there are people that I will support based on that in terms of their character. When I see people that want that seat, but they're too scared to challenge someone sitting there. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Exactly. And it's, you know, I don't want to say now is the easy time to run because 
again, there are so many candidates in this race, but it's easy in the sense of not having to uh, challenge the the status quo. And I think that is very cowardly to wait until the time is right. If you were really so concerned with this district, why didn't you run in 2020? Why didn't you run in 2022? Why didn't you run before? Why did you wait until, you know, the... uh, the 22 year incumbent has stepped down. So obviously, you know why maybe, you know why? Oh, I know why. (laughs) Well, they've been sitting and suckling at some other municipal government teat or whatever they've been doing and working their way through the political, you know, revolving doors. That's why they sit, they do this for a while, then they do that. Oh, that seat's open. Okay, now's my chance. And what that really proves is that every other person who has entered this race who didn't enter before, they're not here to really uh, try to actually change. They're not here to try to make a difference. They're here to support the establishment and the status quo, which I think people are becoming more and more aware that it is not serving the people that it needs to be serving. Um, I also did want to mention one other candidate who is in this race. Um, I think we might be similar in age, so you probably know this actor, Ben Savage. Boy, yeah, I do. You're telling me that Ben is actually running for Congress? Ben is running for Congress. Yeah. Fred's little brother. So Boy Meets World couldn't figure out anything else to do. So now he's going to run for Congress. All right. Exactly. And and, and is he running as a Democrat? He's running as a He's running as a a Democrat. But even that just shows you how much differentiation there is in the Democratic Party. You know, he's very, very centrist, very moderate. I actually had the opportunity to meet him about uh, going on almost a year ago because he ran for West Hollywood City Council last year. And West Hollywood is within my congressional district, I ended up seeing him at the bar where I do my uh, weekly drag brunch. And I knew he was running for West Hollywood City Council. And I said, hey, oh my gosh, you know, I just wanted to say hello, introduce myself. Um, You know, and it was such a... For me, it was such a conflict because I grew up watching Boy Meets World. One of my favorite movies of all time is Little Monsters. I remember that movie. Which, you know, Ben Savage, Fred Savage. And I I said... I said, can I pick your brain a little bit and talk politics with you for a second? And he was like, yeah. And we had this conversation. I was, I, I wanted to ask him, why do you support all of these police efforts? Why do you support the criminalization of homelessness? And, you know, he just, he basically, he didn't really have anything to say other than, oh, well, I've, I've spoken to my neighbors and they're concerned about safety and crime. And it's just the same thing that we keep hearing over and over these like scare tactics saying, oh, well, we have to elect these people who are tough on crime. Well, here's the thing. We're already electing these people and the supposed crime you're complaining about is already in effect. But also I should mention that Crimes are at an all-time low here, so it's it's actually it's not true, and it's 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 basically using these fear tactics to try to get elected, and that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to say, hey, things are wrong for sure, but what we need to do is we need to give people hope, and we need to give people policies and ideas and platforms that that are really going to make a change, not not continue what is already happening because that's not working for anybody. Well, I, wait, yeah. I just got to say. No, we, we if, have to address this. Well, oh, wait, hold on a well, second. So just hold on a second. I was just going to say that if, if you know, law enforcement and criminal justice and having a really strong, robust system really helped with the crime, then we would have none. We would have we none. We would have no crime whatsoever. Like, you, you cannot be more policed, weaponized, and imprisoned than we are in this country. And it's like these people still don't feel safe. Yeah. And it, it's it, honestly, 
I, I think that they never will because they keep supporting the media that keeps making them feel unsafe <laughs> because mm-hmm. I don't, it's crazy. What well, do you want to address? That, what is that? Well, that's also typical of uh, the greater Los Angeles area where there are the haves and the have nots. You know, if you're not living in Compton, Watts or Inglewood, you know, you're kind of just, you're thinking, well, that could creep into my neighborhood at some point. We don't want that here. Yeah, no, it's the people in that neighborhood it. are suffering the same economic plight as the people in your right. neighborhood, and we're having a class war. Mm-hmm. And if you would realize that, it would help us all. Yeah, exactly. Have- what is that? What is that? You don't want that in your neighborhood. Right. That's code for uh, for black people, brown people, queer people, poor people. Of course. People. Hello. Of course. Of course, you know what, and and what's amazing is, is that you can be in a neighborhood that is a very, you know, economically speaking, low end neighborhood, and you still will get the info, like that, that sort of like mongering about other areas. Like, I just, I don't know. Maybe, do you understand MMT, modern monetary theory? Absolutely. Absolutely. I do. I'm a big proponent of MMT. Uh, You know, I have been obviously asked the question as somebody who supports universal health care, universal housing, education for all, you know, the big question in, you know, how you see it on, on Twitter, the uppercase, lowercase, uppercase, lowercase, how are we going to pay for this? Yeah. And okay. I, I am very big on, on, on modern monetary theory. So, you know, as a financially sovereign state, we don't actually need taxpayer money to pay for these services, but even if we did, then we should, and even if we didn't, we should still be taxing the rich, ending corporate welfare, and defunding these massively bloated programs mm. like the military. Now, that's not to say I don't support the American military. Yes, I do. What I don't support is giving almost a trillion dollars a year to the military, which every time they get an audit, they fail it. Uh, and yet there's somehow never money for healthcare, housing, education. There's not even money to give kids lunch at school, but we all oh, for tanks. Do not get me started on the phrase school lunch debt. We have something called school lunch debt. That is a sign of a very, very sick, fucked up republic. Yeah. That's what that is. Because that those are three words that ought not ever be together in a mm-hmm. phrase. Like it's mm-hmm. ludicrous. I, fi- I find it infuriating. We would be amiss to have you on the show this evening to not talk about what has become, unfortunately, amiss, a, re, no, am, we remiss. Would, remiss. That's yeah, what I said. A miss. Oh, you don't have to miss me in here. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, obviously, the issue of uh, trans rights has become center for many people. Um, we've pointed out that, you know, most of the time the fears are irrational. There are always going to be outlying circumstances where things are not being done appropriately. Uh, We see the videos, but I almost like feel, you look at it this way. You have 330 million people in the United States. Are there going to be outliers of, you know, people who are trans who are doing something inappropriate, teachers who are doing something that are appropriate? Yes. Just like there were the COVID idiots that were out there at the beginning of the pandemic who said, you shouldn't wear a mask and (laughs) coughing on people. It's like, no matter what you do, you're going to find these outliers. To me, s- most of the fear is irrational. Some of it is understandable, but it's the people like the Matt <coughs> Walsh's of the world in particular that are the true banality of evil because they're trying to profit off of this. And as I pointed out on a show a number of months ago, he was on Joe Rogan and he asked him, how many 
trans kids do you think there are in the United States as of today? And he says it's in the millions. <laughs> and Jamie, his producer, millions. was not going to have it. He was like, all right, you know what? I'm fact checking you on the show. And it turns out it's about four to 5,000 in the whole country. And you're out here saying that there are millions of epidemic. kids trying to transition. At that point, I'm just being somewhat fairly logical here, I would think that that should have been the end of Matt Walsh's grift. Of course, it wasn't, and it's only grown bigger <clears throat> over time. How do you feel about the current situation regarding the trans issues in this country? Me personally, I think it's a distraction from economic issues. I thought it is. Wait, before you answer that, because it is a distraction by the part, like they are using it as a distraction. But if you if you haven't heard what Michael Knowles said, at the CPAC, oh. I think that we're, we're in a whole new world here. Did you hear it? Yeah. Did you hear it? Because- I don't know if he's going to want to have you back on his show. I, I don't want to go back on his show. <laughs> I can deal with I conservative do. people. I, I want to go on the show. Back. I would love to chat with Michael Knowles about this. I don't think he would. I don't, I, I don't think he's- He's not I, capable. And I mean this in the best complimentary way possible. I'm not sure he's dumb enough to have you on because that would he would wreck his world. Yeah, no. And the thing is, you know what's interesting? Maybe when I was on his show, I did go on to talk about, it was a specific segment having to do with uh, mask mandates and Joe Biden, whatever. So I'm sitting in the like green room waiting to go on the show. And the segment before me is some sort of immigration thing. And I'm sitting in the green room doing my business, waiting for my turn. And I hear the term illegal aliens. And I look up and I'm like, huh, yeah, I, I, it's interesting I'm not part of that discussion. I wasn't invited on to talk about that with Don't him. Don't forget, the one thing that I think chops Lose in his bit more shit. than anything else is if you mention the fact that he is a failed actor, which... Is he an actor? He was. I didn't really? even know. I didn't even I didn't know. Either. For somebody who's in the heart of LA and you, you would, probably and you don't anybody even know that. coming in and out and it's like, yeah, you see this happen all the time. But in his case, uh, yeah. he had like a couple of bit parts and there's always this idea He's hateful that and horrible. Can, yeah. Can you just, you, you need to answer what you were going to say about it. I just had to get in. It's not just people <laughs> like, it's not just people like, what's his name? Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh. Well, I, first of all, I will, I do have to say Matt Walsh, I'm at my wits ends with Matt Walsh. I'm always at my wits ends with Matt Walsh, but uh, just his rhetoric, and as you mentioned, the grift, the fact that he is totally profiting off of his anti-trans rhetoric. Yeah. First of all, that's a disgusting thing that is, we could talk about that the entire episode. Right. Um, it, it is really, and okay, and then the Michael Knowles thing, you know, oh. it's so funny because, you know, we saw the video, you know, we saw him very blatantly say we need to, quote, eradicate Radicate. transgenderism and then he has the audacity the nerve to put out another tweet calling out rolling stone saying that oh this is libelous i never called for genocide well you don't have to read between the lines to understand what eradicate transgenderism means first of all transgenderism is a pejorative term it's not an ism. It's not an ideology. Trans people exist. Right. Now, it's like, it's like we're going to make them go away. Okay. Yeah. We exactly. Can just... <laughs> We've always existed. We're always going to exist. And, <laughs> you know, uh, and then you've got folks like Matt Walsh um, saying, well, I really support this. You know, we have to protect the kids. We have to protect the kids. Oh, my God. It is so um, infuriating and disgusting to me. First of all, I've I've particularly been, I've been thinking about this a lot the past week because we've been seeing a particular uh, surge in people talking about 
anti-queer legislation, uh, particularly with the Tennessee anti-drag bill, uh, which just, you know, was passed, is going into law. Uh, and that, I think, paired with the um, Michael Knowles eradicate transgenderism video has you know, really brought a, a lot of widespread attention to this. Uh, it bothers me that it, it took this particular bill when there have been over 450 anti-LGBTQIA bills moving through various state legislatures and even into the federal legislature um, over this year and even last year. And so, you know, uh, people are really upset. Um, drag performers are upset. Uh, for those of you watching me, so I'm a trans person and I'm a drag performer. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, they, them. I'm trans non-binary. I've also been performing in drag for almost, you know, uh, for about eight years or so now. And I never, when I started, I didn't realize how... How, how political this all was going to be. You know, I didn't start drag to make a, a, a political statement and nor do I think most people who do drag start right. doing drag, you know? Oh, it's but, like theater, it's theater. Exactly, it's theater, yeah. it's entertainment. But I will say there is something inherently social, uh, political and revolutionary about doing anything that is gender nonconforming, especially in the state of affairs that we are existing in right now. And we're seeing things getting getting worse and worse. Uh, you know, the Tennessee bill passed, but a lot of people don't know there's nine other states that are also, that have anti-drag bills. You know, West Virginia, Texas, North Dakota, South Carolina. Uh, but on top of it, you know, I think the real issue about this anti-drag bill is that it's actually anti-trans. But what and is that bill? Like, explain to me when you say an anti-drag bill, like what I have been seeing circulating a lot is everybody all angry about people in the UK bringing kids to drag shows and all this stuff, right? And maybe that's true. Maybe they don't like it. I don't necessarily think it's the most appropriate yeah. thing in the world. But that is a completely separate issue from what I'm sure this bill is. Yes. So what here's the thing. They're them. all, this is all about the way that uh, the alt-right, I don't even want to call it the alt-right at this point. It's just the right. It's the right, yes. Yeah. The way they've been uh, portraying not only drag performances, but also trans people, uh, they have been using children as scapegoats to yes. basically to dehumanize, vilify, and as we now know, try to eradicate queer and trans people. This was never about children. No. This conversation, it started off the way that yeah. any sort of genocide starts, where it is, you're trying to infiltrate the minds of people and say, you know, this is about kids. This is about protecting kids. Well, here's the thing. If you really wanted to protect kids, you would be going after guns and the systemic abuses in churches. There is no widespread systemic abuse of children within drag communities or within the trans community at large. Uh, it's all, no, it's always crazy faster. to me. That's always crazy. And, and that's exactly why, you know, talk. and the, 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 the gun issue is not an issue in my humble opinion that can be one. However, the fact that the conservative movement in the GOP has been so thoroughly uh, they, you want to talk about eradication? The eradication of the separation of church and state doesn't exist anymore, at least not in accordance with what the GOP they just is allowing. They just all need to be taxed. Well, if you want to end this insanity, you have to start a movement to tax the churches. Well, that would the be The second yeah. that happens is when this all ends. And everyone knows it. The fact that Joel Osteen is not the poster boy for this grift, which is what it is, he has become a hundred millionaire 
by doing this stuff that uh, you know you can't prove uh, you can't prove religion well, you can yeah. believe in whatever you want to believe in but this idea that it's like that representative in Missouri today and and Kelly saying this is what I, I believe in the Bible it's like I don't give a rat's rear end what you believe in and then for anybody out there, if you don't know me, I'm like, I was a huge Chris Hitchens fan and I'm sitting here right now. He's sitting here talking about religion and I'm looking across at my poster of Hitch and I'm like, yeah. No, if your whatever. preference, if, if you're a U.S. <laughs> citizen and you believe in a, the, the American, if you believe in the American idea, if you prefer the Bible to the Constitution then you don't actually believe in America. Well, then you should move somewhere else. It's it's exactly. so yeah. Move to Brazil. Yeah. Well, move to a country. So where whatever happened to liberty. Whatever happened to liberty? You know, it's all of every. These people are really oh, First Amendment, First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of ex, of expression. Unless it's something they disagree with. Well, that right. applies to us too. You know, I um, I believe in liberty. I believe in civil liberties yeah. for people. And I should have the liberty to express myself and do whatever the fuck I want to do if Amen. it's not impacting and harming other people. That, he, the fact oh, of the matter yeah. is, you want to talk about indoctrination, you want to talk about grooming. Well, I'll tell you, I went to Catholic grade school. I know all about indoctrination and grooming. Thank God I had the yes. realization to realize, you know what? I'm actually not going to burn in an eternal lake of fire because of who I am. No. Like, no, I, it's, it's very frustrating. And of course we're in Florida and we do see a lot of this, um, kind of them, like what you're saying is they use the kids, you know, oh, they're grooming them. They're creating trans people. They're creating them. And that whole fear, that whole thing, so that someone like Michael Knowles can talk about eradicating something as if it's like, if you stop it, you know, if you just stop letting them groom it, then it'll just go away. It's, it's so fucking ignorant. And I, it, it, I just can't wrap my head around that there are still people in this world that believe that no concept of science, no concept of reason, no concept. And, and the fact that it's like the, these are clearly people going after preying on the most vulnerable among us. You can't pick. It, it, it's like I, it's just it's the same playbook. I feel like I'm watching Groundhog Day. Metalopoly, you could call it whatever you want. Muslims and Christians, Jews, anybody. It doesn't matter. Oh, Get it's your all religion the, same. the hell out. It's the same. Maybe it was when just referencing how church, she was raised. That's how the technicality of the term is exactly. used. Exactly. I, I also... I also, I want to yeah. say I have a, a mixed uh, Christian and Jewish background, but I did go to Catholic grade school. I went to Catholic high school. And here's the thing. I will tell you this. They tried their damn hardest to make me straight, to make me cisgender. And you're you know just what? confused. You're, very, you're just confused. You know what? That to me. That is, South Park episode was so First great. of all, to me, that's child abuse. I would like to say I think that's child abuse. And what I find so interesting, and not in a good way, but the, the, the people that think that's okay are the people that are complaining about the idea that somebody is like grooming your child in kindergarten to be trans. Like as it's if you could happening. make somebody it's be not trans. happening. No. And then they have this ridiculous idea. This is so absurd to me. That a child just gets to come home from school one day. Just, eh, you know what? I feel like I'm a girl. And then the parents rush her over to the doctor and they schedule a surgery and all of this. Like they really, I, I, I find it just so 
Yeah. Like, it's so well, easy to get this information that it's, this is a big deal. And there might be people that do maybe regret it. That very well might happen. That exists. That exists. But that shouldn't deny right. the right of every other person no. who chooses to want to, you know, uh, have gender affirming health care. And here's the thing, you know, uh, it's so interesting. You know, I, I, I'm a, I spend too much time on Twitter and I really got to stop reading the comments. Yes. But a lot of the things that I, you know, am reading is, oh, well, you know, they have, they're, they're trying to, you know, chop all of these kids parts off and blah, blah, blah. Here's the thing. Ugh. There are, uh, gender affirming surgeries are not happening for young children. It's just not no. happening. It's something they're saying is happening, but it's not happening. Uh, what is actually happening is, you know, puberty blockers, which are right. also prescribed to cisgender children. Uh, and here's the thing. If we're going to talk about genital mutilation, then we got to talk about circumcision. Yes, I never. And you said you're part tribe. I heard exactly. you say you're, I'm tribe. So I am very, look, I hear you. I am opposed to all of it. And when people talk about regretting things, I can tell you people that I know that regret getting their nose done, their boobs done, all sorts of stuff. And that doesn't mean that we don't let other people do Hello. it. Hello. Do we ban that for everybody? Right. No, right. This again is the whole- A lot of these GOP uh, bills, you're seeing uh, exceptions. First of all, you're seeing exceptions for- uh, teenagers to be able to get boob jobs as long as they're cisgender. You're yeah. also seeing, um, you know, you're seeing, as I mentioned, kids, you know, there's no mention of circumcision, which is by definition, genital mut mutilation. You're also seeing a lot of exceptions for intersex children. Intersex people and children are not uh, publicly being mentioned enough in these conversations. Okay. Because a lot of these anti-LGBTQIA, specifically anti-trans bills, they make exceptions for intersex kids to non-consensually received gender, uh, you know, uh, surgery. Right. When they're kids based off of what the parents and the doctors think without any sort of input from the yeah. person itself. And that's why you actually see trans intersex people because the doctors and the parents decided, oh, well, you know what? Um, this part looks a little bit more male. So we're going to go with that. Or right. This it's a little more female. We're going to go with that. And that's why you actually do see trans intersex people. So there's actually no protection for intersex children. There's no protection for, uh, you know, young males being circumcised. This is specifically a, um, you know, it, it is an attempt to, again, dehumanize, vilify, and eradicate LGBTQIA and specifically trans people. And uh, can I just, uh, one, uh, this last thing I'd say about the Michael Knowles thing, because he obviously, not only does he not understand about, you know, the existence of trans people, he doesn't understand the definition of genocide. Because, you know, genocide is something that doesn't necessarily involve eradicating people physically. It involves eradicating people's life, their culture, their like there's a list of things. I can't think of it off the top of my head that that when eradicated can constitute genocide. And if you would suggest that the transgender people just pretend that they're just not and just fit in just like they always did because they've always been there. Like I just that's a genocide. We, are, we don't kill people, physically kill people. We are running out of excuses to not deal with the fact that we have a broken economic and political system. And the more we target the social construct and not the economic construct, where you have 60 plus percent of people now who live paycheck to paycheck or below the poverty line, exactly. who do not have universal health care, who do not have a living wage, 
California is one of the bluest states in the country. It might as well be a red state in terms of how they conduct business. They care about the kids so much. You know, it's uh, it's just so obvious at this point that this is the the economic war of our lives is with labor versus corporate special interests that have captured our government. And the more we allow ourselves to be distracted by this crap, it's like we were talking the other day, Mike, would I support maybe a girl for Congress because she's trans? No, I would support her because her policies are great. Exactly. And that's what we need to be worrying yeah. about. And the token, and listen, if you're going to get that token suburban housewife in Sherman Oaks, that's going to vote for you. Good, because all the power you to you. Oh, well, I'm going to vote for a trans person because that makes me a better person. It's like, okay, well, fine. Good enough. No, take it where you get it. But no, I would say I would vote for her just because I like her and she's really cool and she knows what she's talking about. That's and what that I would say. is in essence what is being lost here in the conversation. The outliers are always going to stand out because as you were alluding to before, Twitter's bad and TikTok's even worse. And so when you put those things together, you're always going to find the outliers. And let's not forget, the system is designed by the uber rich and powerful to keep working people divided. That is the bottom line. Yep, 100%. Where can people find you? How can they get involved in your campaign? Obviously, it's early, but it is a jungle primary. So getting uh, volunteers. It's so important. important. You know, I I will say fundraising is a big area that we need help in. Um, I mentioned I'm corporate-free grassroots and it's to raise money when you are a corporate free grassroots campaign. So yes, first and foremost, we need help with fundraising. We need help with volunteers. You know, you can live anywhere in the U.S. and help us volunteer or donate to us. Uh, so if you want to find out more about my campaign, um, you can visit me on Instagram at maybe a girl, M-A-E-B-E-A-G-I-R-L on Twitter, um, or you can visit our website, maybeagirlforcongress.org, um, or you can find us on ActBlue to make a donation. But uh, really want to thank you for having me back on. I really enjoyed this conversation, and um, thank you for bringing up a lot of the things I wanted to talk about without even having to ask you to talk about them. No, so. you're great, and I li- like you're somebody I would be friends with. Like I just really, I, I like your, I, you have very good energy about you. So and I and I also really like your nails. I was noticing that. And I'm I'm sorry, I was like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I was noticing that that they were definite. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I'm having like like uh, wicked vibes, like Elphaba, Elphaba vibes a little bit. Well, I was trying to give we uh, I told you I do drag brunch every week. Uh, yeah. A Mardi Gras theme two weeks ago. And this past week, our theme was Barney versus Barbie. I thought these were very Barney. They are uh, Barney. I did put a disclaimer that uh, adult themes, no kids allowed. Just for, uh, you know, to appease people. That's ridiculous. Yeah, hello. That we even have to do that. Use your own freaking judgment. And if parents, you know what, look, I don't necessarily think it's appropriate. And there's probably, like, some of the things that I saw circulating that were drag shows that were in schools, I didn't find that particularly appropriate. And I wouldn't be psyched if somebody was, like, all sleezed up, you know, looking, you know, gyrating at my kids. I wouldn't be into that. But like we've said, (laughs) there's always going to be outliers. There will always be exceptions. There are teachers who scream. Screw students. That's the problem. Yeah. See, Hello. that's do the problem. Teachers? Do we ban all teachers then? Not the correct ones. I'll tell, I you, can one, tell you I'll, that. I'll tell you one thing. You know, one of the reasons you have those types of problems in, you know, whether it's in the California suburbs or out in the desert in Nevada, it doesn't matter. We do not value teaching in this country. So no. what do you expect? You know, somebody who can go and teach at, let's say, Pepperdine and is going to be paid very well. That's the exception, not the norm. 
And that is the reality of the system that is broken. So when everyone is looking at this, oh, did you see what that person did there or that person did there? It, it's all a distraction from the infrastural destruction of yeah. our oh. system. And I just cannot understand people's thing. interest in other people's genitalia. That is the, no. it's, Hello. It's, Thank it's, you, Dad. I don't Thank understand you. it. I don't freaking understand. Are you concerned with my liver? Maybe. You know what? Considering the circles that you're running, just don't get it. Could, we would love to have you back at some point. I guarantee you, as we've always, as I've always felt, the ones who just, project the loudest, they're typically hiding I something. I just understand that I it. You, know you guys could be concerned with my spleen. Nobody's concerned with my spleen. I don't I'm hear just, like people I'm out advocating about it. My, I have a friend who had a looser spleen. We're not fighting against the spleenless. Like, why are you concerned with people's genitals? Because unfortunately, the people who grew up in the church, I don't understand it. And who are told for years and years and years that you are evil if you even think about doing anything that is non-gender conforming, whatever, 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 and especially towards men. And the second that you leap from that, the conclusion becomes, well, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. And so those that have continued to believe in this, and again, Michael Knowles, perfect I'm example, disgusted. is somebody who portrays himself as being super religious. And so as a result, you almost have to wonder, this is you're going so hard on this issue. I'm almost wondering, do you secretly fancy other men? Because I'm starting to wonder, no. like, what is and it? That's man? okay if he does. That's okay if he does, you know. But again, you're right. Like, why why are we looking at um other people's private parts in locker rooms? Why are we looking I at people's private parts in bathrooms? I can't remember ever going to the bathroom and uh doing a visual check of people's <laughs> genitals. Like no, if I'm going into the bathroom and checking on something, it's to stand over the stall and curse out Kirsten Cinema because I would follow her into the bathroom stall, man. You wanna, you wanna know, like she was, they were in her personal space. Oh, for the love of all that is holy. Maybe last thing before you go, uh, the, yeah. the California, uh, obviously, the U.S. Senate race is going to be very intense. Um, any thoughts regarding where you see things falling between? And of course, uh, two of the three main candidates are in your neck of the woods. Katie yeah. Porter and Adam Schiff, and of course, Barbara Lee. Uh, how do you ultimately see this race unfolding as we go forward? I'll make this quick because I have a lot of things I want to say about this. But, uh, you know, uh, I first of all, I, I have personally have not endorsed anybody for this race. Um, Schiff is the last person. I, I will not be endorsing Schiff. No, no. matter what. But, uh, you know, I'm still... Um, uh, I'm so-so about Katie Porter and about Barbara Lee. I think that both of them have a lot of great qualities. There's a few other qualities I'm still looking into to see are these things I can look past. Same with Rokana. Rokana has been rumored to be entering the race. I personally would not be opposed to endorsing somebody who is a greenhorn, whose you know platform and policies I more so support. Um, but... I think that uh, it, it's not, I don't think it's going to be Schiff. Um, I think it's going to be really in a way hilarious if he's given up his 22 year seat to run for Senate, he loses and then I win his seat. I think it would be glorious. You know? and I think that that is exactly like he what is, is going to happen. He is the yeah. one person I have to say that is make Adam Schiff is one of the, 
he is one of the most sadistically evil people in all of politics, and most people don't even know it. They don't even know it. They don't even know. I want to say this. I want to say, you know, a a big reason that I ran against him from the get-go is I really oppose a lot of his policies when it comes to criminal justice. You know, a lot of people don't realize that when he was a California state senator in the late 90s, he not only supported, but he authored legislation, so much legislation to increase incarceration in California. Three strikes amongst juveniles. If I could never support somebody that wants to send more kids to jail. Uh, And here's the thing. I will say another reason that we run and we challenge people in establishment positions is because there actually is the opportunity to push people left. You know, Marianne Williamson, she just announced her, her, uh, her president, her, um, attempted the presidency against Joe Biden. Here's the thing. A lot of people are saying it's a waste of time. It's not going to do anything. I'll tell you this. I have the experience of running against Adam Schiff for uh, over four years now. And I will tell you this. It was not until I challenged him that for the very first time, he voted against a nearly trillion dollar defense budget. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I challenged him that he finally is supporting um, an amendment to overturn Citizens United. It wasn't until I challenged him that he's supporting uh, bills that support transgender rights. And so to say that there's no effect in challenging the establishment is entirely false, because I know as somebody who has done it for years now, that it actually makes an impact. Whether or not I win, my challenging him has impacted the way that he publicly portrays himself and his public policy. He's trying to be uh, a progressive now. He's been in office for 22 years and now wants to join the progressive caucus. Bullshit. And Oh, don't get me started on the progressive caucus. I, and, and that is a perfect, perfect end to our conversation. And I really do believe the point I was making is that I think he really is overestimating how much he's going to appeal to the entire state. Yeah, um, he is very much a upper crust politician. He represents a district that, frankly, is sort of representative of who he is. It's upper middle class in many parts. And the idea that he's going to go into the Central Valley, into the Bay Area, into North Country, and is going to be that candidate that's going to appeal to people, I don't see it at all. And hopefully, if it, whether it, let's put it this way, if Ro Khanna, Barbara Lee, or Katie Porter get to the upper chamber, we will be much better for it over Diane Feinstein and certainly over Adam Schiff. And with that said, maybe... Thank you again for coming on. It's been Thank a wonderful so conversation. It was a great show with both of you. I'll yeah. be back. You'll be back for a Cali panel. No question about it. Thanks, maybe. Take care. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye. She's lovely. Very nice person. And obviously, oh, for sure. Uh, I want to go see the, the Barbie Barney show. That's what I want to see. I mm. want to see the Bar- Barbie Barney <coughs> I do drag think that, challenge. I do think that Adam Schiff definitely. Uh, for somebody who could have sat in Congress again for 50 years if he really wanted to, he, the hubris is what ultimately is the downfall to so many of these representatives. Well, and then I wonder things like, And I hate maybe, using the word representative, so really not. No, they're not. Where did I say representative? No, I said it. Oh, okay. It. Um, the thing I think about with him is when you look at, and what maybe just said is how close that she actually did come in terms of, you know, she was second to him. So, you know, maybe he doesn't want to be challenged again. Maybe he says, okay, I'll, I'll throw it at this. And <clears throat> if this doesn't work, I'll go get some lobbying, corporate lobbying job somewhere or whatever. Like, I just don't think, I think he sees the writing on the wall in terms of challenges are going to keep coming. And at this point, 
you know, throw it all in there. And if this doesn't work fine, I'll go private. The fact that's is, what is that do. they just want a cushy job. And, yeah. and Schiff, you know, again, the hubris came out because he sought the spotlight so often during the Trump years <laughs> and wanted to be like this big front person. Yet they always think that their skeletons are never going to come out. Their dirty corporate money in the backroom deals that they make, it's never going to come out. Don't worry about it. It's and if out. it does, it'll it'll be yesterday's news before you know it. I, I, I mean, look, I don't think anyone who's realistically looking at what it takes to actually run for, let's say, the U.S. Senate and you have to give up your congressional seat. Granted, in California, it is gerrymandered in a way that pretty much... I guess eighty percent of the districts are Democratic. That's anyway, true, so but not, but yeah, so they have jungle primaries, but the top two are usually Democrats. Right. So it's you know well, you know what honestly, it's if, still better than what we have. If Schiff is prevented from getting to the main stage, although I would say that that is very unlikely, because between Kana, Porter, and Lee, the vote is going to get split multiple ways. However, because it is a jungle primary, odds are. <laughs> Is Ro Conan definitely in? No, not yet. Okay. But we'll see. Well, let's assume that he is. Whoever ends up getting in, you would hope, realistically, that whoever the left-leaning or progressive candidate, if you want to call him that, I... is going to get backed against Schiff. You would hope. But with the way politics is today, I wouldn't put anything And again, I, I'm, you know, it's like we're very kind of... Uh, loosely using the term progressive. So last thing before we go, obviously we cannot not talk about uh, Russell Brand and what he did to John Heilman on It was Bill so Maher. beautiful. This and say is, what you want about Russell in any way, this is great. So we're going to put this on. I hope you guys enjoy it because it is just too damn good not to hear it again. Um, and obviously we'll comment on it. So here we go. John, I've not known you long, but I love you already. But I have to say that it's, it's disingenuous to claim that the biases that are exhibited on Fox News are any different from the biases exhibited on MSNBC. It's difficult to suggest that's, that's... that these corporations operate as anything other than mouthpieces for their affiliate owners in BlackRock and Vanguard. And, and unless we start to embrace, and then also, mate, like just spiritually, if I may use that word in your great country, we have to take responsibility ability for our own perspective. I, I've been on that MSNBC, yeah. mate. It was right. propagandist nutcrackery yeah. on you're there. Not, you, I went on the show called Morning Joe. Yeah. It was absurd the way they carried Good morning, on. Morning Joe. Yes. Yeah, it, I don't it. know what it was. It wasn't morning. There was no one called Joe there. No one could concentrate. They didn't understand the basic tenets of journalism. No one was willing to stick up for genuine American heroes uh, like Edward Snowden. No one was willing to talk about Julian Assange and what he suffered trying to bring real journalism to the American American people. And I think to sit within the castle of MSNBC throwing rocks at Fox News is ludicrous. My friends, Make MSNBC my better. My Make friend, MSNBC friend, great my friend, again. My friend, I would love, I would, the moment, the moment, the moment, the moment, the moment, the moment that you give me a specific example an actual example. Okay, I'll give you oh, one. Wait, just wait, 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 that we know that the election wasn't stolen or something equivalent, but I will go, but I will go out, but I will go out on television and say the opposite. I will lie. When's I'll, my answer? We, we give, just give me a, give me the specific example. I understand the basic okay. point. Give me a specific I, 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 example. I, I, 
All right. Well, I'm with you. I think it's a false equivalency, Russell. It's a false equivalency. It's not about bias. It's a false equivalency because you don't actually know anything about any of these organizations you're talking about. Even on MSNBC once. Big fucking deal. My darling, it was more than enough. You can't come up with such a You don't have a single, you have a single actual fact. Do you want an example? Do you want an example? The ludicrous, outrageous criticisms of Joe Rogan around ivermectin, re- deliberately referring to it as a horse non, medicine when they know it's an effective non-response. medicine. Yeah, that, that's what not a Rachel Maddow turning up on the TV non-response. saying, if you take well, this vaccine, you're not going to get it, when it hadn't been clinically trialed for transmission. You have to listen. Wait, Do you think you can improve response. America by determinately and avowedly condemning Fox News without acknowledging that you're participating in the same game? I, Did you not? just listen to Bernie Sanders, <laughs> someone who plainly legitimately believes in this country and believes it's possible to change, but is bound by corruption, is bound by the lobbying system. Surely it's clear to you, Bill, as one of the great pundits and experts and comic voices that systemic change is required. Money has to be taken out of politics. We need new political systems that genuinely represent ordinary Americans so that we can overcome cultural differences. And bickering about which propagandist network is the worst is not going to save a single American life, not improve the life of a single American child, not going to improve America's standing in the world, and the world needs a strong America. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that. So you have an obligation, a duty not to condemn these people. Yes, say what you want about Russell. I mean, I really do like him. And I know that there's people that think it's a grift, whatever. I don't know. But that was brilliant. And here's here's a perfect example of what I noticed from the very beginning when the pandemic was happening. And Joe Rogan said that he had used ivermectin as a means of dealing immediately without getting the vaccine, just dealing immediately with ivermectin. This was before. I think he said he used it before the vaccine had even existed. And what MSNBC in particular was going around saying is that you're taking horse dewormer, which we all know is not true. There are two kinds of ivermectin. There's one for humans and one for animals. And the fact that they were repeating this lie over and over again, saying that they're taking horse dewormer and people are killing themselves as a result of it. This gets back to the argument that we were just talking about with maybe about how there are outliers within the trans community that give trans people a bad name. Well, guess what? There's going to be people within the ivermectin community that are going to give people. You've got to stop swinging that. Honestly, using the ivermectin, I really wish you wouldn't. You keep doing ivermectin the wrong way. Were there people that used ivermectin that were that was horse dewormer? Yes, I'm sure there were a few that got their hands on it out of. I don't know how many people, hundreds of thousands, if not millions. Some kids get under the sink and get into the bleach. We don't ban the bleach. Uh, what you want to do is you want to take the bleach and some of it is Darwinism. It. I'm yeah. sorry. Some of that is Darwinism. Hydrochloroquine. If, you, uh, if you're if you listening to somebody and taking horse to warmer, uh, that's Darwinism to me. If that doesn't work out, I'm, I'm, it just is. So that type of rhetoric is just that's one example. Yeah. That's just one example. There are many examples of things that MSNBC has done over the years. Russia gate anybody? Russia gate. Russia, 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 Russia. And all the while creating a frenzy amongst the populace so that way NATO versus Russia could become a real thing. And we're this close to World War III, which is really, Thanks really for that, bad. Rachel Maddow. Really bad. Um, and of course, 
as you've often said, you cannot build your moats wide enough if you think you're going to stop what's going to happen if the people eventually crack and say we're not taking this anymore. Because that's kind of where we're heading. We're heading in that direction right now. And yep. there were other things that he talked about. And I happen to believe that one of the things that inspired Russell to do and say what he said was because of the fact that Bernie was on the show that night and was laying down the law with Bill Maher about how naive he is regarding economics. And from my understanding and from what I saw a clip of, because, again, I don't watch Bill Maher, but um, apparently Bernie's position and explanation on student debt for student loan forgiveness yeah. that uh, Bill Maher actually kind of got that. Which is oh, interesting that, and, I mean, he changed his position. And if you're going to have student debt cancellation in the United States, it only makes sense to do it if you're going to have tuition-free public college and trade Correct. schools. Otherwise, why are you it's paying It's just going it to repeat itself all over again. And it's only going to get worse because it's be completely commodified and people want to just make money off it. Educate the, the people. Yeah. Educate the people. And to the conservative friends that we have in the chat, Tuition-free public college, I'll take it a step further. If you want to make it so that you get tuition-free public college as a result of studying specific subjects, I wouldn't have a problem with that. You want to say that this is what the country needs, so we need people studying engineering, we need people studying biology. Yeah. I have no problem with that. No, that's, that's fine. That's that what a lot of encourage people do. to go and study yeah. what is really necessary. If your complaint is that I don't want somebody getting an English lit degree because there's no value to it. Well, I'll tell you this. We need well-paid teachers in this country. It is an undervalued, underserved First, profession. Well, there's something, there's a value to everybody getting educated. It is not for one person to decide what is of value and what is not. Because what you're saying is that your only value of education is based on, you know, your ROI. What can you do ROI. for Well, yeah, and how you're going to be a cog in the machine. But here's the thing is let's just say that everybody gets to choose for themselves how they want to be educated and what they want to study. And it is for us as a civilization to come together and offer the best possible resources we can for everybody so is that we can all live amongst happy, healthy, educated people. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So if we need to say we're going to call it pre-K through 16 and you just say those four years, that grades 13 to 16, you could do this or you could do this and you could do these other things, but we're wanting to give our kids more education so that they could be more, I don't know, productive in the world. I would think that people would appreciate that. But right now, our education system is so bad compared to other countries and how we treat people who want to be students by penalizing them and how we treat teachers by not paying them. It says a lot about how we value education in general, and really we don't. So what we want is a whole bunch of very stupid, unhealthy people to gradually die off, have enough cogs to work in the machines, work the machines and work in the fields. And I still don't know and how that's people, it. And I still don't know how people don't see that. How they do not see the correlation between the dumbing down of education to dumb down the populace to make them work like serfs. How do you not see that this yeah. is what it is? Yeah. How do you not see that this is what the trade deals were all about? And this is, of all the things that I will never allow Debbie Wasserman Schultz to ever live down, is that she voted to fast track the Trans-Pacific Partnership. The goal here is to create a serfs economy. We're very close to it. If yeah. not already in it. And what, well, what it is now, we are in it. It's just called the gig economy. But gig yeah. workers are serfs. And basically, I had this epiphany today. Like, there's the people that order 
and the people that deliver. And it's, that's, you know, from, I mean, obviously there's people that order and deliver. I understand that, but it was just sort of like this idea of just the nature of the economy now is we don't do anything. We don't manufacture anything other than weapons. We make war, we make weapons, we make ammo. That's our thing. Everything else is service industry, but service industry is so abused and mistreated And now on top of that, we have this whole gig economy that's trying to compensate people who are mistreated in the service industry. Correct. So, and and yet nothing, we don't make anything or do anything. That is the world that we live in today. And it is a shame and it is only making things worse. Just educate the people, man. Let them study what they want. You know what? I like some English lit majors. Somebody needs to be teaching people Wuthering Heights in college. You know, I mean, I I just, I don't, I don't understand why people feel like they get to determine. That's like people who don't like what people spend their, their welfare money on or their food stamps on. Like they judge people for what they have and what, are you kidding me? Or somebody who is, is, gets government assistance and how dare they have a cell phone. I can't stand that crap. That judgy crap, as if only if that person was just much more efficient and just, no, I reject that entirely. So there. And so I do believe that Russell Brand made a excellent point. And that's not to say that Fox News doesn't propagandize their crowd. They do. But so does MSNBC and so does CNN. It's all Any corporate media in one way or another, is going to convince you that you can't have health care, you can't have a living wage, unions are okay if they die, we do not need a labor movement in this country, we only need corporatized politics. And it is always going to be branded as sold through the Democratic Party, because that is where the coastal elites reside, and for them, they are pent to have the country believe that. The problem is, is that the divide in this country today is between one corporate party and the other corporate party. But it's funny because I sit here and I think like people like Rupert Murdoch and the people that actually own our information. And I, and I think like, you realize that they're above the parties, right? Like there's people like him and then there's the party and then there's the people like, these are people that win regardless of the part, like it doesn't, that's a fiction that is made up and they actually do it. So I actually believe that the people that own the Fox, you know, and the MSNBC, those channels that they're all, they're, they're the same people. It's all the same. It's okay, all about this channel out. be these people and this channel be these people. It's like the argument with the trans rights and uh, the second amendment and, you know, abortion. They're sitting at the very top, looking down on different segments of the population and seeing, okay, well, the religious heartland in the South, well, we know where they're going to fall on this particular issue. We know where the Northeast and the West Coast are going to fall on their particular issue. So we'll play off each other. And that's the way it's going to be in the industrial Midwest, where the real swing districts of the whole country reside. That's where most of their financial infrastructure is going to go. You can imagine how much money is spent on ads in those areas. And what's so pathetic about it is if they took the amount of money that they spent on ads in those areas and actually put it into the infrastructure in those areas, then we'd be talking. Because I bet you the people in Flint, Michigan, would rather have clean water than be looking at Joe Biden's face on a TV ad. Just a thought. I'm just saying. It's a great point. I um, mean, I, it's funny to me how the Democrats are so willing to spend so much money in areas but yet they're not willing to fight for the people in those areas. And it's at some point, it looks like a grift because it is a grift. That is what it is. And that's the thing. Like, you're looking, okay, if you just vote for us, if you just vote for blue, okay, 
Well, and Nina said something about this today. At least I saw a clip today where she keeps referring to the 116th Congress because the 116th Congress was the Congress where we had a majority in both houses and you had a president. I guess that was, I, I think it was the 116th, but she's on this number and it's true. It's a joke. They don't want to do that. They could have fixed this problem. This is like, it's so silly to me that we're, we're thinking that one of these things is better than the other. Joe Biden crushed labor and he deserves to lose <clears throat> in 2024. And I don't care who it is at this point. At some point, the American people have to wake up and realize that defending the system that has allowed somebody like Trump or DeSantis to rise to the top. How do you think this happens? This happens because the country is desperate and blaming like Joy Behar does. Oh, my God. Further perpetuates that narrative of <clears throat> the ultra liberals are completely out of touch and out of step and they are despised more than ultra conservatives. And that is why people like Matt Walsh and Michael Knowles can get away with their doing. Because when you look at what's on the other side, for them, their attitude is at least they're not smug sons of bitches. Right. Me. Well, that's the thing. Like I, Joy Behar saying that was akin to Hillary's deplorables comment. And these people to me are so insufferable. And you know what, even on a, like a local level to me, like I've been to all sorts of different groups and different things. And I've said it a million times that like the Republican clubs are infinitely more friendly, welcoming and fun oh, than yeah. the Democrat no, clubs. And they're, they're less judgy. They're less sanct they're, they're not sanctimonious. It's like the difference is, is that those groups tolerate the crazies like the Michael Knowles mm -hmm. and the, and the Mount Walsh's of the world, because yeah. for them at the end of the day, for Republicans, it's all about winning. That's all that matters to them. They, they care about winning and they know how to lock arms with everybody on their side, whereas people on the left still haven't learned that you need to throw all this garbage away and just lock arms with labor. And, and if they you do can. that, that's the way it'll end. But people like Joy Behar and people like that, that universe of people that are like the Democrat liberal you know, media people, it's just they are so insufferable that it does make sense to me. That people would then get behind somebody like a Donald Trump. It does. And I and I and here's the thing is that I it makes sense because we along the past few years have met those people. Yeah. Lots and lots they're and very, lots of them. They're very normal people. They're very normal people that just could not deal with the Democrat nonsense anymore. And believe me, they don't hate trans people, they don't hate gays, they don't, they're not anti-abortion. No. They just accept the fact that we live in a messed up two-party duopoly. And in their mind, they believe that there is less damage to be had on the right than there is on the left. And you can piss and moan and complain now until your heart's content that that is not true. But I can assure you that until each and every one of you wake up and realize that it is corporate special interests that have captured our government and destroyed labor in this country, that is the end all be all. Metalopoly, you really don't know much about politics. That's all I can say. No, I mean, Nothing's I appreciate what you're book. saying, because I actually do think that when people get a position, they should s satisfy that position before going to the sure. next. And that is something that always does bother me about people. And it's something that I take into consideration when I vote, because to me, somebody that does that is not reliable. DeSantis is not, is, so that is does not bother out there me. selling a book unless he's running for president and challenging Trump. Right. I, I just don't see it. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. I just don't see it. Yeah. Uh, even if it looks like Trump is um, still the favorite to win. And last thing before we go, on Thursday, we are having our first official Gen Z Report conference call. We are going to be starting our next chapter of the Generational Change channel. We will be adding a show, which will either be most likely on Thursday or Friday night. 
Uh, that will be determined. Uh, but we are going to have a panel team of Gen Zers, and it'll rotate. There will be it's going to rotate and be moderated, and we'll talk current events, and we'll talk different issues, and we'll, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how it just plays out. But I just think that it'll be a really good idea for us to be engaging with the Gen Zers more. Yeah, well, they, very often Gen Z feels like they have no position. They don't have a place to speak. And the people who are in Gen Z who get a place to speak, particularly in the Democratic Party, are those that are willing to kowtow to the corporate interests of the Democratic Party. We see you guys. We know who you are. So anybody out there, we're still, you know, this is open. Send us an email at generationalchange at gmail.com. Right there. Send us an email. Tell us that you're interested. And I will send you the links that you can come in on Thursday. We're doing it Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern time. If you cannot attend this and you're still interested in participating, send us an email. We'll still we'll still contact. This is not a make or break mandatory thing. Um, but if you can make it, yeah, we'd be happy to have you. On Wednesday at 9 p.m., our regularly scheduled time. Remember, we make exceptions for our guests like Steve, who need to come on a little earlier. But Wednesday at 9 p.m., we are doing a crossover podcast with Good Politic Guy. Mac is coming on. Should be a great conversation. Obviously, <clears> a lot <throat> going on right now. We might have another special guest coming on. We'll see. If it... Surprising. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. Okay. Uh, so we'll see what happens. And then because uh, the whole good politic guy kind of thing just like weirds me out a little bit about you and me like that thing. It's a little weird. So, guys, this is what the happened. thing. The thing. So I see I come across this video from this good politic guy and I'm like, God, that guy's really cool. I like him, whatever. And as usual, when I see something I really like, I take a screenshot of their Twitter and I forward it to Peter and I say, let's hook up with this guy. Let's let's have him on the show. He looks cool. So it turns out to so them. The next thing I know that night. It comes up on the calendar that he scheduled the good politic guy. And he hadn't even seen my text yet. He hadn't even seen the text and it already scheduled him. And I don't even, and you didn't really tell me like how you even thought of doing that, but it was really very like, very trippy. Well, with that said, we appreciate each and every one of you. Make sure to smash that like button. Make sure you subscribe, click that bell. Oh, so next you know week. When we go live. Next week. Yeah. Is she coming on? Uh, I don't know. Okay. But somebody is coming on. As far as I know, somebody will be coming on. Uh, we are going to have uh, at least one, if not multiple members of Workers Strike Back. We can talk about exactly what their plans are. We're trying to get Kashama Sawant to come on. Shama Sawant, excuse Thank me. Thank you. And uh, I mean, did you did you tell, well, you know, she's, I might be, she's one of those people that I could maybe be stupid. We will work on that. But <laughs> thanks again for everything, guys. It's been a great show. We will see you Wednesday. Bye, all Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.